Blog Talk Radio. Hello and happy Sunday. This is Seeds of Change and I'm your host, Danielle St. John. Um, Mom is with us. Let's bring her in. And we'll be joined by Lily momentarily. Hello, Mom. Hi. How's, how are you today? Things are I'm looking feeling pretty very sunshiny. Relaxed. Mm-hmm. You're feeling very relaxed. I am yes. too, as a matter of fact. Yes. Good stuff. Um, I've just got over a bout of computer stress, so I'm definitely much more relaxed. Oh, woohoo. Yay. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm also very excited about uh, the show today. Yeah, me too. There's a lot to talk about. I honestly, like, there's so much to talk about that I haven't really, like, planned out clips or anything like that because... I feel like we, we've got so much to cover that um, I wasn't really looking to fill up the whole three hours because I'm sure we'll be able to do it. Oh, I've got a ton. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a ton. And so I will tell you that I'm super excited um, about the January 6th tapes finally being released to the public. I want to um, talk a lot about that today because um, – I don't know uh, if anyone listening knows what an anon is. I think Danielle does because she is one. And True. so uh, back to our gig with um, QAnon. We'll just start right there. Uh, there was always this whole big uh, push by the lamestream media, uh, read communist deep state uh, party um, scum, uh, to um, denigrate QAnon, right? QAnon, 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 you would hear this every day, all day, every day, all day on uh, the mainstream media. And so the first point I want to make, and, you know, Danielle, tell me what you think about this, is there really is no such thing as QAnon. There is Q, who was a poster, um, an anon, and then there are anons. And anons are people who go and dig for information outside of what, what, you know, regular sources. And you go digging around and you make conclusions or you, yourself, and then you put the information out and you let everybody else make their own conclusions about the information. Go ahead. I think that Q, the person that was posting – um, is actually more than one person. My theory is that at least one of those people is Julian Assange. Um, and, and, and it's really kind of um, a, a great method of getting information out because no matter if they, you know, cut his internet or, you know, if they throw him in jail, he can literally just pass a note under this, under the door and get his message out. It looks like Lily yeah. is with us now. Um, Lily, if you can uh, press one. Um, and we'll let you in. Not sure. Like, how, yeah, there we go. All right, here we go. Hello, my love. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad the link worked this time because I've missed being able to do the show with you. Oh, yay. I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. Okay. Are you feeling um, better, Lily? This is this is mom. <clears throat> Off and on, um, I've been fighting the same thing for like months now. Oh, <laughs> that's what it seems like. Coming back, so I'm 
I've been trying to like mix, you know, like a little bit of Western medicine with a lot of natural stuff. Um, but I did agree to like do some steroids and an antibiotic through my doctor just because I was so frustrated with whatever this is. It's like a pneumonia. Um, and so it seems to be helping a little bit. So I'm just like going with it, you know, like, even though I don't trust a lot of their stuff now. We still have to get antibiotics from them, and uh, we still have to get prednisone from them. So, um, you know, that's actually one of the biggest, saddest parts about what they tried to do to us, because I'm, I'm 62 years old, okay? And the fact that, that at this point in my life, when I can't trust the medical community, is enough to make me a little bit worried. And, of course, there's lots of natural stuff that people can do, Um Thank God. Uh, But, you know, to be able to go to my local doctor and not have to be, you know, of course, and every time you do, how they do do with you? Oh, you're ready for this vaccine and that vaccine and you want to try, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 thank you. No. Right. I'm not taking your T-shirts made saying, no, I don't want to. I don't want your vaccine. I don't want your tetanus. Right. right. I don't want your tetanus shot. I don't want your no, thank you. I don't want my my COVID vaccine. (laughs) No, (laughs) the answer is no. But there are things that we still have to get from medical doctors, things like antibiotics. And and they actually do work unless you overtake them. Right. If they get prescribed too much then you know, of course, we become resistant to it. But you you're not likely in that category at all. Are you, Lily? You don't you don't overtake antibiotics correct no i don't and i've tried like i've taken like the natural like um quercetin and different things you know and it did like help but it's not able to like totally get rid of this and i think that it did i get cut off or did lily lily did it dropped um she'll call back in i'm sure um, but let, let's get back to Q and on while she calls back in or Q and oh. Anon. Right. So, um, Anons are, um, literally just the entire country and believe it or not. And, you know, I know that we've had many multiple discussions about like nothing's happening. No one will ever, you know, have to pay. Why are we still doing this? And I totally get that. Um, but what I, what I, my thesis is that there are literally millions of us out there digging around for this information. We are anons, I suppose, and that's not a bad thing. I just want answers to questions, right? Right. And and that's what anons want. They want answers to questions. And perhaps, you know, there's some some wackos out there. Cool. Okay, wackos, you know, do your wacko thing. you're, You're not... There's no skin off my neck, and so you just do your stuff, and I'm going to look for, you know, dig through your stuff and, you know, so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. at this point, um, I no longer watch any mainstream media or gather any information from any mainstream media outlet. And if it does come across my eyeballs from the places that I go digging, then I go check it five or six different ways from Sunday just to make sure, because I just, I I don't trust any of them. I don't trust the medical community. I don't trust our government. It's just really kind of scary actually. (laughs) Sort of in a place where you can't trust anything you hear or see or read without, you know, double, triple, quadruple checking it. 
And um, and I actually suppose that's a good thing because that means that we're doing it and we're not just accepting the narrative. Yeah. And um, it's, and speaking of narratives, um, it, it, well, okay, pop quiz, Danielle, Teresa. How many? And Lily's back and, too, so she could be part of the quiz. Yay! And Lily, I'm going to ask you guys this question. It's a pop quiz for both of you. <clears throat> how many? "Quote unquote conspiracy theories, or or how many mainstream shove it down your throat narratives do you think have been debunked over the last seven years, eight years, nine years? Five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred. <laughs> we should do the jelly beans thing. <laughs> how many? Do you th- okay, uh, uh, great number. Um, how about you, Lily? How- how many do you really like ones that that you go oh that i guess that was bullshit too how many do you think you've seen uh get thrown in the trash can over the last seven eight years there's been at least like 50 of them i know in the last like two years so i would say maybe like a hundred at least i don't know certainly and they're ones that the sort of larger population supposedly see this is another one of those uh um myths that there's so many people out there that a aren't paying attention and b believe a lot of stuff that isn't true this is what this is part of their narrative and i'll give you an example i was just on uh twitter which by the way is kind of a lot of fun uh these days and um believe it or not and um on the internet uh, on twitter is they, they released the january 6 tapes finally after all this time, after all this time, we're finally getting to see ourselves. Now, keep in mind, you, me, Lily, we all, we've all known that that was a setup that day. Um, and then just now, which this is the next thing that always happens, somebody shows a clip from a picture, a still from one of the clips, from one of the, the video clips, and it's a guy holding up something in the Capitol and another, watch, CIA agent, can I say that on the radio says, Oh, what's he holding yes, a yes. badge? Look at that. Okay. And Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee jumps in and says, Oh, we have to find out about this. Well, okay. So this is another thing that happens. It's a vape. The guy just got 51 months in prison. The, the picture that they have of it spun out and then they get to laugh at us. Like with Pizzagate. Now keep in mind, I still, to this day, know that Alephantis and that Media Matters asshole, what was his, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy that's ahead of Media Matters. He's in trouble, by the way. Um, hold on. Pizzagate was trending today. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Brock, last name Brock, okay? Um, then they get to point and laugh and say, we're all a bunch of, of wackos. And then even Mike Lee, who is a very powerful senator, they're going to say, "Well, you believed something that was a, a, a conspiracy theory." And then they get to then they get to tease us or clown, clown us and discount what we're saying. This is all part of the psyop. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry I went on a rant. No, that's okay. I think everybody needs to hear about this because there are still people out there who believe that January 6th was the the most violent day 
in our history since 9-11 and Pearl Harbor combined. Yes, yes. And, and as a matter of fact, Mike Lee jumped right in the middle of, of um, what's her name? Oh, my God. Cheney. Liz Cheney, because she goes, because all the videos are coming out, and, she, and, and all the right demons are shrieking, these videos being released, okay? So you can tell that there's a bunch of stuff in there they don't want us to see. And he's, you know, the videos are coming out, and she, then she showed that one clip that they always show with a bunch of people fighting in front of the Capitol, which, by the way, I have a bunch of information about that today, which I'd love to cover it. I, I know we're going to ask Lily what she wants to talk about. But it, but I want to talk about that. And by the way, Javier Malay just got elected as the Argentinian president. I don't know if you guys know who that is. I don't. I have not been following that at all. He's Trump, Argentinian Trump. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's standing in front of a don't tread on me uh, flag as he accepts the, the concession from his um, opponent. Mm-hmm. So it's happening worldwide, which is really cool. Um, Sorry for getting distracted, but my point is, is that um, the the, the tapes that they didn't show you are what are what matters. So, Danielle, you had the question about the timeline. Yeah, that all the people that were listening to Trump's speech couldn't possibly have gone and started a riot. It it turns out it's very true. And I have a really great clip whenever you guys are ready. I don't know when you want to start with the January 6th stuff, but I'm ready whenever you are. Go ahead. Take Um, it away. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm okay with talking about it now, Lily. How about you? Yeah, I'm fine with anything. Oh, listen to your your cute little scratchy voice. That was me last week. I mean, I I was pretty bad off last week, but I, I fought it off pretty quick, so that was nice. Let me just start by saying, um, and I've told the story um, at least once on the show, but I'd like to just put it out there again. Um, I was very, very interested in, uh, uh, you know, in the January 6th um, hearing, um, the Electoral College, because I watched the election state by state. I saw the fraud state by state. Yep. You know, we, we were already we like, did. whoa, what's this? That's illegal. That's illegal. Where did those, you know, ballots come from? How come this why person... Why did they stop counting? Um, the yeah, one why, question why that they, no one has ever fucking answered. Why did they right. stop counting? And not only, yeah, where did the... What, why is it that the that in Atlanta they cleared out the whole uh, counting area, area and then pulled out ballots from underneath the table? You know, there's all of these things that were going on. So I was very interested to, to watch the actual, um, you know, formal electoral college votes, because, you know, I think that a lot of us became kind of, I don't want to say experts, but definitely very much in the know on how the process worked, where perhaps we weren't before. Um, And, you know, it's a joint session with um, Congress and Senate, then, and, and the electors, right? And so they go in alphabetical order, Um, you know, it usually goes pretty smooth, um, unless there's um, a state that contests the election, right? So right. Um, I'm like glued to the TV watching these hearings uh, uh, and or the, the the electoral college process. I my you know mom is watching uh, Trump's speech, and I know from people that were there on the ground that it was a you know a mile and a half to two mile difference you know um, be, uh, between where Trump was speaking 
and where the vote was was going on. And yes, so I'm I'm on the phone with with mom and and she's watching Trump and we get and I'm watching um, the electoral vote and they get to the first elected or contested state right they're just about to do the first one which i believe was arizona and right before arizona could come out and say we're contested was when this quote-unquote insurrection happened now when you have this many people that are there to protest uh, democracy, you know, to to make sure that democracy was was um, was being carried out, was being um, upheld by you know according to the Constitution. Um, they knew, most people knew that that was when things were going to start getting dicey when the when the first state contested their election, and wouldn't right. you know that that was the time that the insurrection started right before Arizona was able to contest the election. And so why in the world would these people who knew that there were at least five states out there that were going to contest, why would they pick that time right before the first contested state was able to speak their mind? Because at that point they would have, um, you know, the, the protocol is that, uh, it's debated. So Congress goes into one room, Senate goes into the other room, and they debate the contested evidence. Ballots. Uh, electors. Yes. Yes. So, so it doesn't that, is ex- that, is, that is the exact moment when the cops started firing on the crowd. And now we have the evidence. Interesting. They started firing rubber bullets. They started throwing gas bombs, and I'm looking at a cop right in front of me. He said, they set us the fuck up. This is a Capitol Police officer. And then they asked her to come two hours later. They set us the fuck up. I've got video. A bunch of it is right at that moment is when that's when the cops started firing on the crowd, and there's a, another video that I've got. He said, every time you fire on them, they just get madder. Why are you doing that? Why are you firing on the crowd? What, we're supposed to be controlling this crowd. We're, we're supposed to be stopping this from happening. What are you doing? There's a picture, a video of a guy with a rubber bullet that went right through his cheek. They fired right at his fucking face. Right. And people don't necessarily know that, you know, that when they think of a rubber bullet, they, they think that it's, something that's uh it's just like a bean bag or something like that but not it's, it's a it's metal that's encased in rubber you know yeah, so it, it can it, do- cause L- damage Lily knows. And it did go ahead sorry i'm excited <laughs> no no that's okay i'm just saying lily lily knows about this kind of stuff because of standing rock is she here with us yeah she is she's probably just listening um but that's okay, Mom. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to right now, where's my Facebook? Put in, um, where's, where's my Facebook? I always have Facebook open. Why don't I have Facebook open? Um, I probably closed it. Anyway, I'm going to ha- put in uh, Seeds of Change, the clip that I want you to play, and it answers your question, Danielle. Okay? And here we go. It's on Twitter. Uh, is that going to be a problem? Uh, probably not. Let me. Let's see. Hold on. I'm so while you're get, bringing it up, I want to give credit 
to a gentleman named Investigate J6. He followed me back today because I wrote him yesterday and I asked him if we if we could please have permission to share this on um, Seeds of Change today. And it was weird because he took it down and then he messaged me and said, um, had to repost, yes, of course, please share. And then he followed me today. Um, and so it's uh, the timeline that you're asking about, Danielle Teresa. Why would they do it? Well, and then I've got a bunch of other videos to back it up to show that's the moment when when they were getting ready to hear the contested electors is when they started firing on the crowd. And now we get to see the video. Okay, very good. So I've got this up. Sorry, the hecklebirds are kind of starting to get ramped up too. But uh, here we go. Three, two, one. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make... How's that volume? It's perfect. January 6, 2021, the media propaganda machine fed us a story that shapes the narrative of insurrection. They intentionally left out some key details. There's an entire timeline that you haven't seen, and it tells a different story. They're going into the Capitol, I think. Look, there's cops up there. It looks like they got sniper rifles. Everybody stop here. Where did Trump say to meet him? Down front? Who were the agitators? What was the timing? How did the chaos begin? Unit 6, I need less people see if they can come up from the upper west there and take an elevated position. Right now we have group of uh, staff at the lower west there. They're not compliant. Did the officers not hear this? You were told there was fighting, but where? And this is where it gets kind of like weird because we can't see it. I'll post it in the um, in the Freedomizer chat so people can see it afterwards. Um, right. Yeah. But but definitely worth the, the visual is definitely uh, worth watching. But here we go. See, and and you know what? I watched it because and of course I got to see the visual. But he's describing hopefully well enough that if you if you can't access it to understand where these shots are starting to come from, where the, the gas canisters were, were thrown. And I actually have a, a, an article describing in words what we're looking at right now. So go ahead and play it, and then um, okay. I've got more. Cool. All right. Here we go. 
this is where Joshua Black is shot in the face. He never <laughs> saw it coming. First blood, but wouldn't be the last. <laughs> Is this where the agitation begins? The police line is now reinforced. Chris Quaglin approaches the police line, screaming about the shooting of an innocent protester in the face when an agitator tactically pushes him from behind. Into this the is when it started, right there. Stop it for a second. Okay. Okay. So he's going up to the cops and saying, what are you doing? Why are you firing on us? We're just, we want our, we want to be heard. What do you, you just shot somebody in the face and somebody comes up behind him and shoves him into the police line and all hmm. hell breaks loose. Uh, yeah. Co-Intel pro everybody look it up. All right, here we go. Um, we're we're going to continue. Go. The agitator, Landon Copeland, admitted to being a member of Antifa just after being sentenced for his involvement. The police reacted with violence, further infuriating what was a peaceful crowd. The anger spreads among the crowd from the unprovoked attack by federal agents. None of this had to happen. As aggressive police forces continued to provoke the crowd, Save this guy's life right now. All right, Yeah. Wow. Just wow. Okay. Yeah, so the same guy investigate DC or excuse me, investigate J6 was interviewed by Uncover DC. And that's Tracy Beans, happened, right? Yes. Um that's Tracy Beans. That's her her which I want to give all the credit. This particular article is written by Wendy Strauch Mahoney who's one of uh, the toughest, badass uh, women underneath Tracy Beans on, on the un, under, under, Uncover DC uh, 
uh, is it a newspaper? What is it? Well, yeah, it's a media outlet. Okay, media outlet. I, you know, we call them newspapers, okay, but whatever. Okay, so I'm just going to read through what we just listened to and what actually is happening. This, the, the picture is of these cops, and they've got their rubber, quote-unquote rubber bullet guns in their hands, and they're getting ready to fire on the crowd. Alan J. Fisher says he can prove that the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was incited by police brutality and their illegal use of force, not insurrection as Trump supporters. And now we have the video proof. Remember, okay, so I also want to set up this part of the timeline. The, the shit blows up at the Capitol. And within about six hours, anyone whose voice that would have said, no, there's something wrong with this on Twitter was taken down. A couple of million accounts got taken down within hours of it. Anyone that would have said, hey, look at this. What are you doing? Including mine. Facebook, too. I didn't get, I, I didn't get mine um, removed, but I did get put into – um, a Facebook jail for a couple days, and then they took away my ability to do live streams for like six months. I remember. Okay. So, so anyone that would have said, hey, there's something wrong with what they're telling you, and look, here's this, here's this. Okay. And I'm going to show you something. I'm going to tell you something else. You know what? I'm going there first. Okay, well, let me, just, let me just interrupt real quick, just uh, so you know, um, sort of breaking news, Rosalind Carter has passed away. Yes, bless her heart. Okay. She's right, been on, they, they put her in hospice a few a few days ago, which meant yeah, you know, that she was going. You know that Jimmy, Jimmy Carter is still alive, right? He's been. Like, I know. Can you believe it? I know. Right, but but it won't be long because they they need to cover this up. So he'll be going soon. You know they yeah. love a good funeral. Oh, yeah. So I'm gonna Absolutely. I'm just gonna skip down and I'll come back to this. But it said, did you know that on January 6th, these Bosch 360 surveillance cameras on West Side photojournalist tower had their feeds cut at 105 p.m. 90 seconds before the Capitol began Capitol Police began firing rubber bullets at the heads of peaceful protesters what why would they do that hmm okay back up to the top so here we go um, I, I, I'm gonna put this one also um, in seeds of change and there's going to come a time when there's a video that I want you to play, and I'll tell you. And it's about a third of the way down the article, um, and I'll, I'll just scroll scroll with me, Danielle, because I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to I'm going to give you the high points of what we just heard, what we just listened to in that video. During the protesters' first few minutes of the first hour on Capitol grounds, officers from the Capitol Police and Metro D.C. Police allegedly used illegal force and brutality on what was overwhelmingly a peaceful crowd. And they did it, says Fisher, without proper lawful warnings or regard for statutory procedures. You notice in that video, the cops are supposed to say three times, we're going to fire disperse we're going to fire disperse or we're going to fire nobody said a fucking word overwhelmingly as they and they did it says fisher without proper lawful warning or regard for statutory procedures fisher calls this first hour the uc uscp and mdb less lethal timeline he believes these initial moments amount to evidence that sets the tone for the rest of the day and created the civil disorder 
that he and other J6 defendants have been charged with. He believes that if fairly presented at trial, evidence would result in the dismissal of most of the J6 cases. Proud Boys walked under the Capitol grounds between, uh, just before 1 p.m., between 12.59 and 2.03, as Fisher shows in his ex post below. This is the one we just watched. Police munitions occurred before a riot was declared at 1.49 p.m. and before the Capitol was stormed from 2.10 to 2.30 p.m. These are facts the House Select Committee on J6 never wants you to see. It makes you wonder what Rep. Loudermilk really knew or meant when, meant when he said our officers on the line did not did what they needed to do at the time. Much of the first hour is also documented on this uh, Rumble video. So they did what they needed to do at the time. Rep. Loudermilk saying they they wanted to stop them from counting. Um, I don't know how long that video is. We're going to wait. January 6th footage has, is being hidden because it will expose that the police use of force on J6 was illegal and horrifying. We know. They killed Ashley Babbitt. They killed... Um, uh, it's they six killed minutes, Tori. Do you want to play it? Go ahead, play it. Okay. Three, two, one. Um, as one who is here and... Uh, who has custody of these 44,000 hours of videos, I can attest there were acts of violence. There were acts of terrible violence that day. Um, even from what I had seen with my own eyes and, and, and it, it, through the media, I've seen acts of violence against police officers that I had not seen before. And it was brutal and it was ugly. And uh, our officers online did what they needed to do at the time. I have given warnings about chemical munitions. I need to list the lethal team position above me to start deploying. Launch, stop, So I don't know if this is going to work on here, is my point. What's that? I don't know if what we're listening to is going to work for for radio. Okay, well, we can we can stop. I just, yeah. Okay. I just, I just okay, so there was a 104-page report issued um, about Victoria Wright, excuse me, Victoria White. Um, they used deadly force. They uh, struck um, her. He, she was beaten over the head with 35 times with a metal baton and punched in the face by an officer of the Metropolitan Police of the District of Columbia. Um, Roseanne Boyland was um, beaten with a steel baton and then with a large wooden walking stick. According to witnesses, Boyland lost consciousness and stopped breathing after being crushed beneath the weight of other fallen protesters. Um, conscious she was not a threat to the officers dc medical claim said that she died of an overdose of adderall which is not no she was beaten um yeah well you know when you yeah but mom when you mix adderall with being beaten you know (laughs) things happen ashley babbitt another 
real problem because that cop that shot her lied to the American people and said he warned her three times before he shot her. Bullshit. He never said a word. He just fucking fired. Okay? Um, is there another one? No. So those are the three that, that I want to bring up. Okay. <clears throat> the next part of this article is, did protesters know not to enter breach one and snow fencing? Protesters filled the Lower West Plaza outside the Capitol building shortly after the first push of the barricades is defined as breach one by the media and the DOJ. It is the famous fence push involving Ryan Samsell and Ray Epps. After the Samsell Epps fence push at the Peace Circle, anyone walking behind them would be clueless as to what just happened because the bike racks blocking the path were removed. So they had no idea. <clears throat> that they were breaking the law, okay? First off, um, they removed the – so Fisher and his team found footage showing that, that at around 12.55, someone removed the flimsy snow fencing with signs affixed to it indicating that it was a restricted area. They didn't know. Next, totally makes sense that one guy could take down the entire security fencing guarding the Western Tower Terrace on January 6th doesn't make sense at all, okay? Um, open letter to Tariq uh, Johnson. Okay, so Tariq Johnson was the, the pol Capitol Police Lieutenant on duty that day. He has since come out and said that they that no, no protocols were followed that day. No intelligence was shared with him. This is the guy that you would think that would still be you know, uh, singing a good cop song, but he's like, no, it wasn't right. He said, Tariq knows we were, were given by Waldo and Lloyd were in fact unjustified and illegal, and that Waldo knowingly lied by saying he gave warnings when he didn't. Testified, I saw a crowd fighting. I'd given them warnings about chemical munitions. There were no warnings given. Okay, so that right there from the top makes it what they did to the protesters illegal. Okay, they have to say three BG, times. will you saw out the steak, please? <laughs> will I you saw out the steak for me, please? Yeah, I hope she we does. Can out the, yeah, we can thaw. We can thaw them out for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she doesn't sound good, Lily. You don't sound good, Honey Bun. Um, okay. Um, let's see. So here we go. Um, less lethal timeline. So there's a guy named Landon Copeland. He said there's 100 Antifa members currently incarcerated for their role on January 6th. He's a whistleblower. One was Landon Copeland, an admitted Antifa member who is seen after the first shot pushing cops and pushing protesters into police lines to create skirmishes. Prior to the shot, there was almost no violence, certainly no violence that anyone can see as they filtered in. This guy admitted that the night before they had a big meeting about how they were going to fuck shit up at the protest. Not only were we know for a fact there were feds in the audience, but and we knew there were Antifa. There's, there's Chip Roy just come on and he's like he was asking about something called ghost bus buses. Do you guys remember hearing about ghost buses? Here we go with what sounds like a conspiracy theory. Uh, no, I've never heard. Ghost buses. There were literally 
20 of them filled with feds. There's, but they have the video now of them bringing the buses in to set it up. At around 1.15, Fisher was sprayed with pepper spray by D.C. police, and then at 1.18, he was shot in the face with a pepper ball munition, which exploded on impact on his left temple. Fisher's in the black hood and sunglasses. His stepfather, retired 9-11 firefighter, is also pictured. Yeah, you it's crazy. You can, see, you, can, you can see the tissue on the inside yeah. of his mouth on the outside. Yeah. This is another guy. This guy was bowing his head to pray, and he got hit in the in back of his head. His name is um, last name Fisher. Okay, and it could cause death. It says the Epoch Times reported pepperball munitions can travel up to 300 feet per second. They can maim and kill. USC. USCP officer Shay Cooney testified in the Proud Boys trial that, yes, it is possible they can kill. She also admitted it is a violation of policy to shoot someone in the temple with one. Journalist Roger Parloff live-tweeted the trial with the reference munitions below. Officer Cooney was on the stand. Could cause death? Possibly. If, if one of these hit someone in the temple, could cause death? Possibly. Roots done. Definitely. They fired twice more. At 110, 110 and 118, the first grenade, flashbang goes off at 121 because um, they, they didn't have them fired up enough. Then the crowd starts roaring. At 117 p.m., Thou orders Capitol Police PD snipers to continue firing indiscriminately into the crowd. He screams, let's go fucking shoot them. Shoot, shoot, shoot. At 1.22 p.m., Thao grabs a D.C. officer's taser. He then rushes to the front line and proceeds to tase a random protester who can be heard screaming in pain. The crowd responds angrily to Thao's offensive use of the weapon, yelling, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? First, officers must seek to enforce restrictions through voluntary compliance and then seek as appropriate to enforce the restrictions by issuing citations to or by arresting the specific non-compliant persons. Officer must, officers must issue at least three clearly audible and understandable orders to disperse using an amplification system or device waiting at least two minutes between the issuance of each warning. They did not follow any of their own rules that day. They Isn't are the it reason. Weird? Isn't it weird that all of these incidences that we're not allowed to ask questions about, um, like, like, for instance... Sandy Hook, no procedures were followed that day. None. None. We're not allowed to ask questions, of course. But isn't it strange that uh, same thing with uh, Maui, with Lahaina. All of these things, they they just forget to follow the protocols. It's just strange. All right, go ahead, Mom. No, and it's it's not just – it's deliberate. All of it is deliberate. And um, so that day in particular, they knew what they were doing. They were trying to rile the crowd up. And guess what? It wasn't working. (laughs) And they just kept pushing. So so when it wasn't working, then we got Officer Thao running up to a random protester and tasing him. They were beating women, trying to get the crowd riled up more. But again – your question about the timeline 
is super relevant, Danielle, because it all started about the time the Arizona electors were getting ready to go up. Okay. Next, we have um, the people that are suffering over over this. They're still to this day. Um, there, there's people being arrested. They just did a quote unquote manhunt. Uh, for another guy. This, this thing happened, we're coming up on four years ago now. They brought tanks to his house for one guy. Oh, Jesus. Okay? He sees the tanks pulling up into his ha- in front of his house, and he runs. Turns himself in a couple of days later. Okay, They're still doing this. They're still trying to make this a thing, but they knew these tapes were coming. So how did we get them? I want you to play this clip of Matt Gates. I'm putting it okay. in Seeds of Change right now. Okay. He's on Tim Pool, which is a really great, if you want to listen to good stuff, listen to Tim Pool. Um, so it's called Trash Discourse. So it's the clip. It, you see it? Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling it up now. So, so before you start playing it, I'm going to just set it up. <clears throat> we take over the House, finally. Okay, even though everybody's like, oh, we lost the election. This was 2022. It was terrible, right? This is what we heard for days afterwards. Well, guess what? We, we took the House. We finally get to do this stuff. So now we got to elect a speaker. And the next thing we get, uh, get exposed to by the quote-unquote mainstream media is, what a disaster. It's chaos. They can't elect a speaker. They don't know what they're doing. Because remember, it's been Nancy Pelosi for 145 years. Okay, whatever. Yeah. And the guy they put up is Kevin McCarthy. And he's a freaking rhino. He's a pedo. He's, bought, he's a, the bought dog of the Uniparty. And we all know it. Okay? But he's, it's his turn. You know, remember that saying, oh, but it's his turn. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we fight and fuss and fuss. And, and it, for days, remember how many times they voted? And everybody said no. We voted. And they, we said that all, the, all of our representatives fought him like a banshee because they know who he is. Yeah. At the end of the process, they get him to sign concessions. If, if we vote for you, these are the things we want you to do. And one of them was to release the January 6th tapes. Okay. Mm-hmm. He and also they said, and if you don't do what we say, it's only going to take eight of us to oust you. They hated that one. They hated that one because that's never been done before, right? Yes. Once you get in there, it's like you. It takes a freaking stick of dynamite to get you out of it takes there. Takes an act of Congress. Yes, it takes an act literally, and you can't get anybody to do it. Okay. Yeah. But that got in there. Well, yeah. we went for months and months. And months. Wait for the Your microphone's okay. doing that thing again. So we waited yeah. for. Is it better? Better. Okay. We waited. For, it's because I. I think it's when I talk too fast. I'm getting excited. <laughs> we yeah. waited for months for them to give us the tapes, we, and fighting and fussing behind closed doors, not getting anything done. McCarthy's dug his heels in and. Just as an aside, for those of you that are listening that might not know this, he didn't even have Nancy Pelosi move out of her freaking office. Yeah, I have a theory about that one, but I'll let it go. 
What's your theory, sweetheart? Well, okay, so so if uh, if Kevin McCarthy is he's been in Congress for 180 years as well. Him um, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that like at the beginning, like AOC, when she first moved into her office, she probably got the one in the basement with no windows. But as you get you know further along, um, you know you get the better and better office. Um, it's possible that McCarthy just didn't want to move out of his office and was doing the pragmatic thing by letting Pelosi stay in hers. But that's it's, just it's, me being, com- you know, completely um, over the top, like not trying to believe conspiracy theorists theories uh, about that. But it's possible that it, I could be wrong. Okay, it's very much more likely that she owns him and has videotape of him uh, with children. Just. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> That's another theory. Okay. So they finally say, okay, you broke your promises. You're, we're taking you out. You can't do that. No, yes, we can. And remember, oh, chaos, chaos. Oh, look how terrible the Republicans are. They're going to you know, take out McCarthy. And, right, and, and everybody was against Matt Gates, and they tried to get him to take him out. Okay? Yeah. So we fuss. We fight. We, we win, okay? The America First uh, folks win, and we get a guy named Mike Johnson. Who? Who? Right, exactly, okay? Well, it turns out he's just about as MAGA as it gets. MAGA, for, for the uh, people from Rio Linda, means make America great again. It's the Trump folks, okay? Mm-hmm. He's about as MAGA as it gets, and within a week, he releases the tapes. Mm-hmm. And here we are, and we're going to find out that they lied to us from day one, which we knew, okay? And it was because of the stolen election. We're going to find all of it out. It's all going to come out. Yeah. It just takes time. And so take it away, Matt Gates. Okay, three, two, three, one. two, one. He believed that Washington was broken. The normal system of selecting leadership in both parties is based on the redistribution of lobbyists and special interest money. Like, if you want to be the leader of your party, you basically have to raise and redistribute north of $100 million. And Kevin McCarthy was so good at that, he raised and distributed about half a billion dollars over the course of the last election cycle. And so it creates a covenant that's not really built on trust or merit, or vision, but trading money for political support. And we wanted to send a shock to that D.C. cartel system and to say, no, guess what? There's going to have to be a different way you get there. And the concessions we sought principally fell into like three buckets. He believed that Washington was broken. The normal system oh, of wait, selecting leadership. That's it. Okay, hold on. That's a, it's just restarting now. Uh, so there might be more. This is one of eight. Did you did you see yeah, that? I do. I have the whole page. Keep scrolling. Okay. Uh, da, da, da. Come on. They're, yeah, they're all short clips, and I think they have to do that. I, is it going to make it too choppy for you? No, no, I'm okay with it. I just got to find it. Um, okay. Just keep scrolling. Right okay. below it is the next one is two. You see two? No. Hold on. But it's doing this weird thing. So hold on. Let me see. Uh, that's another person. 
Okay, let me let me try this. I'm gonna sign in to my Twitter. I thought you were already Maybe. signed in, sweetheart. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Um, who needs to change their smoke alarm? I don't know. Maybe Lily. Maybe Lily. Not me. I don't have smoke alarms. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, I think that I do. I keep forgetting to get the right battery for it. Oh, boo. Okay, I'm sorry. And then I forget. No, like, I just get used to it and forget that it's happening. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, no, I did, I actually have a um, a battery in mine, and like I just broil something in the shut up, Hecklebird. Um, I just broil something in the oven, and uh, it goes off. So, come on, come on. Yeah, the the um, come on, that's number. Okay. He believes that. Shut up! Hold on. So you want to go to two? October 3rd. Hold on. Let me just go to... So this is actually eight months ago, believe it or not. These clips are from eight months ago, but he's talking about the process with McCarthy at that time. I thought it was from October 3rd. He he reposted it October 3rd. Oh, okay. So trash discourse. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Here, how about if I just, okay, how about if I just send it to you on Twitter? Yes, please. Okay. And you're DMing me? Actually, I was posting it on your page, but I can DM you. Oh, no, that's fine, too. That works, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Nope. Yep, I got it. Okay. Normal system. But that's the first one. Let's see. Okay, go to two. Okay. Number two. Okay, here we go. Heckle birds. I I wanted to put them outside, but but everybody in the house says they're going to die because it's too cold. But, okay, hold on. Here we go. had policy concessions. Second was procedure. You know, having those 72 hours to read the bill, having open amendments. Like it's the youngest member of Congress was not yet born the last time the appropriations process went through regular order. And that just means like we should vote on the defense stuff separately and then vote on like the education stuff and then the health and human services stuff. And that it doesn't just all get mushed together so somebody can vote for a bunch of bullshit that you wouldn't otherwise approve and then say, well, I had to vote for it to fund our troops, right? That's the game. That's what the cartel builds and lobbyists make a gazillion dollars off of that at policy concessions. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, Yeah. What one vote, one, you know, one, um, yeah, one bill, one vote, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. They smoosh it all together into this big pile of shit. Okay, and yeah. and that's how they've been doing. That's how business is. Okay, and that's the other that that was one of those concessions that was on that list. Go, sorry. Okay, no problem. Number three, here we go. Three, two, one. At Washington was broken. The normal system of selecting leadership 
in both parties is based on the redistribution of lobbyists and special interest money. Like if you want to be the leader of your party, you basically have to. No, nope, that's one of eight. Sorry. We wanted specific policy concessions. Second was procedure. You know, I don't think supply chains will. The final leg of the stool is personnel. Like in order to enforce the deal that we got, we wanted specific people on specific committees in specific leadership posts. And, you know, what, what's the saying? You, you rob the banks because that's where the money's at. Well, we wanted far more representation on the appropriations committee because that's where the money is. And a lot of Americans don't know what the rules committee is or why that's important, but it totally governs what we get to vote on and what we don't get to vote on. And so we demanded specific people and specific representation on the rules committee. The final leg of the, so while, you know, McCarthy, I think to his credit at the end of the day was willing to devolve a lot of that power, we reinstituted the one member motion to vacate the chair. So for any reason, at any time, any member can go to the floor and call for a vote and to remove the Speaker of the House. And if 218 people vote for that motion, then the Speaker is gone. Now, I don't want to use that. I don't intend to use that. But I think having it on the books is healthy for the institution so that there isn't fear of retaliation for doing what's right. Why, why was it only 20 members of Congress willing to stand up? Well, I mean, first of all, the, the frontline members, even the frontline, and when I say the frontline members, I mean members that are in districts that are 5149, maybe even districts that Joe Biden won by a substantial portion, right? They had a loyalty to Kevin uh, and an argument that was something like this. Well, Matt, if a guy goes out there and spends, you know, four years taking money from the lobbyists and giving them to, giving that money to us, and then in the last minute you knife that person, no one will ever agree to be the valet for those people ever again. And we need that delivery system of resources. And so, like, it's not about how much we like or don't like McCarthy. It's about a system that we rely on to resource our campaigns. And, I mean, that's a pretty astonishing argument, but it, it, it at least has a logical construct. Um, and then, you know, there are, there are people who fear disrupting the system. They think, look, I got here to Congress. I've got a staff that tells me I'm always losing weight and that my jokes are funny. Like, I go home and I'm the, the big cheese at the Rotary Club. And, like, to every extent that I can have calm waters, the better, and anything that creates turbulence, I oppose. And that's actually a pretty big swath of the Republican conference and the Democrat conference. That That is how the uniparty gets to groupthink. Um, especially in Washington, D.C. But but how deep does the rabbit hole goal be, go? Because there's a lot of people talking about, you know, the deep state, the intelligence agencies having a lot of control, using a lot of extortion, special interest, interest groups pulling the strings here. What's your understanding of how things really work in Washington, D.C. compared to what the average American kind of sees? Well, I think that, like the most corrupt, like, foray into this is like freshman orientation because like you show up here and I mean you know imagine showing up from northwest Arkansas from like you know southern Mississippi and you see the architecture of DC they take you out to like the finest steakhouse the best wine you've ever had and co-located at your table are the lobbyists for the major special interests for the committees that you're interested that you want to serve on so like I get here and they're like oh Gates you want to be on the armed services committee have you met these defense contractors these are the key <laughs> lobbyists that round up the defense money and they put you with them from the very beginning 
and you sort of get the joke that if you give your vote card to the leadership and your calendar to the lobby corps, you just kind of get enveloped into a system that's there to nurture you and protect you and keep you out of harm's way. And all it costs you is your own belief set. And I don't think that's compromise so much as selling out. Now, you know, so that is like step one. And that catches a a whole lot of the people who get here. And then beyond that, if you kind of resist that system, then they do try to extort you, uh, engage in anything they can do to compromise you, cancel you, find some joke that you liked on Instagram years ago that like doesn't fit with the mores of this time, find some email that you were on like the forward chain of. It's like some basis to say that you're a white supremacist or you're, you know, some sort of uh, unacceptable human that can't be in polite company. And, uh, you know, then if that doesn't work, it's abject destruction through the political process where there are many, many dollars lined up solely for the extermination of those who push back against, against the narrative. Yeah, this is, um, I, I think that's it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's time for the good news report. And I know I've been talking the whole time. Um, there, for me, that that is the best news ever, is that we actually finally have a voice. The next step will be to investigate January 6th, the way it should have been. Yes. If you remember at the time when they started the quote-unquote J6 committee, they wouldn't even let other Republicans on there. Then they yeah, put well, in... Yeah, Liz Cheney and Kinzinger, Kinzinger or whatever. Those that's not really... who they ended up with, right? They're not really yeah. Republicans. Okay. So they're still fighting, those two, <laughs> about the release of the tapes. But They're I think Kinsinger fine. is gone, right? Isn't he leaving? There, yes, he's not. She is too. We voted him. Oh, one of them, uh, uh, Kinsinger got redistricted out, and she got voted out by 40 points in her own freaking home state because she's a disaster, oh, and we know it. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really good day. Um, <laughs> I was very excited by that. Um, so the uh, good news uh, report is that – Colorado and Michigan both lost their bid to keep Donald J. Trump off of the ballot. Um, and that's a, a really, really great news because it was, uh, it was really bad. Um, cleared for the, he's cleared for the Colorado 2024 ballot and also the Michigan 2224 ballot. Um, <clears throat> they tried to pull a shenanigan. They've tried everything to get this guy. We still have the cases coming up. He wants there to be cameras in uh, the January 6th um, uh, courtroom, and they're fighting tooth and nail to keep cameras out of the ca- of the. Um, won't that be? Wouldn't that be fun if they had cameras in there? Well, and especially um, since especially since there were you know uh, so many of. Uh, the January 6th defendants had these really awful, um, you know, intrusions into their uh, process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but now all of a sudden they, they want this. I don't know. It, it's really, I guess we already know their playbook, but go ahead. Yeah. So, so they, they, they don't really even want to bring these cases. They're doing, they're, they're pulling out all the stops like they've done since day one, since this man was elected. So Ecclesiastes uh, 
3.16 says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. We have a sworn affidavit from an FBI veteran says that the FBI Deputy Director Paul Abate threatened employees who criticized the FBI's response or tactics related to the investigations of the events of January 6th. They're purging FBI officers that um, were in the military and came onto the FBI. I don't know that that's necessarily good news. Keep in mind that usually when I put something that sounds really bad, for me, every time we get to hear about this stuff, it just takes us closer and closer to the goal. The FBI employees were uh, signs that an FBI employee was a right-wing radical and disloyal to the United States were A, failure to wear a face mask, B, refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccination, and participating in religious activities. So they're purging the uh the good even if there were any left at the uh, F, at the FBI they're purging them um which is good because that means that those people are going to turn um turn whistleblower um additionally um we have new news about that biolab in California um guess what they were producing there hmm. um I don't know. COVID-19 tests. They were producing Chinese, the tests there? Yes, they were, well, they were yeah, distributing and producing potassium yeah, from, directly from, here we go, the Chinese owner of a makeshift biolab discovered in a remote California city has ties to the people, People's Republic of China and the Chinese military, according to a report by the House Select Subcommittee on the CCP. Jie Benzu, 62, was arrested in October for distributing misbranded medical devices and lying to the FDA. The lab, located near Fresno, California, less than 200 miles from where Chinese President Xi Jinping met with Joe Biden on Wednesday, was discovered serendipitously. Code enforcement officer noticed a garden hose attached to the facility. This led to the discovery of thousands of vials, some labeled in Mandarin, (laughs) others in undeciphered code. However, the inaction by the FBI and CDC in this matter, as reported by the committee, is perplexing and concerning. Is it really? Is it really? (laughs) It's not perplexing to me at all. Um, It turns out that um, the dangerous materials um, are particularly alarming. They found 20 potentially infectious agents, including HIV and malaria and genetically engineered mice carrying COVID-19. Zhu's confession of operating his companies to, to further PRC policy, PRC, uh, People, People's Republic of China, in case you didn't know, and meet demands of PRC Premier raises serious concerns about espionage and intellectual property theft. His history of operating companies in Canada emerging in the massive theft of American cattle-related intellectual cattle-related intellectual property, interesting, and fleeing to the U.S. after a $330 million judgment only adds to the gravity of the situation. Um, but perhaps even more disturbing is the allegedly dis- alleged disregard by the CDC by the CDC for potential evidence, including a freezer-labeled Ebola. 
This negligence is or possible cover-up raises critical questions about the integrity and competence of these federal agencies in handling matters of national security. This is zero hedge Tyler Durden. I, I use his uh, stuff really off, uh, often. I highly recommend that you read his stuff as well. He posts on uh, Facebook. He posts on Twitter, um, Telegram. You can find always great investigative uh, operation with this guy. Um, interestingly enough, um, Danielle's going to get a big chuckle out of this one. The uh, Pentagon failed their audit for the fifth time. Um, there's billions of dollars missing again. Um, and I know that you're go Danielle, show me your shock face. Oh, my gosh. This is my shock face. Okay. <laughs> it's actually the sixth audit. Excuse me. Okay. Whoopsie. Uh, the Pentagon just failed its sixth straight audit. Trillions, with a T, of dollars are missing. The Pentagon has just failed its sixth audit in as many years. In early October, it was reported that the Pentagon was crying broke to Congress. <laughs> now this, considering that the world is on fire under Biden, now would be a good time to have our Defense Department in order, but no such luck. This is the Gateway Pundit. It's Mike Lachance. It was... Uh, posted on November 16th. Um, the Department of Defense failed its sixth straight audit with little positive change from the year prior, despite pledges from the Pentagon leaders to make improvements on the massive undertaking each year. Auditors gave seven of the department's 29 sub-agencies. Did you know they had 29 sub-agencies, the Department of Defense? Did you have any idea? Uh, no, I didn't, um, but it, <laughs> it does not surprise me in the slightest. A clean audit. Their sub sub agencies had a clean audit in 2023 with no change from the 2022 audit. Although it's not a surprise that the DOD hasn't been able to account for 3.8 trillion dollars uh, and 4 trillion in liabilities scattered across 50 states and 4,500 4, sites globally. Interesting. DOD officials previously said they expected to see incremental improvement, Defense News reported. Auditing the department's $3.8 trillion in assets and $4.0 trillion in liabilities is a massive undertaking. Said <laughs> yeah, but, but that's not you? even true. We're, we're over $21 trillion since 9-11. I'm sorry, 9-10. Yeah, 9-10. Uh, but the improvements and changes are, are, we are making every day as a result of these audits, audits positively affect every soldier, sailor, airman, marine, guardian, and DOD civilian. So I have no idea how that's possible, but here we are. Okay, so um, um, here we go. I, I'm going to – oh, Danielle, I'm going to – can you go in the – Everything is dangerously stupid folder and play this this clip. Or can I put yeah, it in? I could put it in your ice folder mm. so that you can find it easier. It's there now. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. I did. Okay. Yeah, I I had put the Matt Gates stuff in your in your Danielle ice folder. I love this lady. She's a recent um this okay. Danielle, here you go. This is the lady that got Liz Cheney's job. You're going to love her. Wait oh, till you play it. All right. 
Uh, here we go. Hold on. Uh, three, two, one. Coming here today for your performance. I have watched with absolute fascination as you have danced and dodged and lied. Yes, lied. We know you've lied. You know you've lied. But more importantly, the American public knows that you lied. And yet you believe that you and your fellow architects of the censorship industrial complex think that you should be able to determine what is and isn't true. The FBI made the social media platform pull that information off the Internet if it came from conservative sources. Can you define what disinformation is? The FBI is not in the business of moderating content or causing any social media company to suppress or censor. That is not what the court has found. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to pressure Twitter to moderate or censor certain tweets? We have a program. Yes or no? We receive legal demands to remove content from the platform from the U.S. government. Twitter was basically a subsidiary of the FBI. Dr. Walensky, why aren't you and your staff wearing masks? Um, because we also have guidance on our website that says that mask wearing um, Your own be- website has this that says you should wear a mask in addition to vaccination, yet you and your staff are not wearing masks. I don't understand. There's a current Department of Justice investigation into your finances. Yep. What is it about? I can say this. Is I'm cooperating um, completely, and I am absolutely certain, 100% certain, that at the end of the investigation, that I will be cleared of any wrongdoing. You're 100% certain. I'm 100% clear. certain of it. And uh-huh. all I can do is cooperate and and trust in the process. That's Hunter Biden, for those of you that can't see it. Say that again. That was Hunter Biden for the, for, for yeah. people that were yeah yeah go ahead well, sorry and we'll see what the way forward is. What's your level of confidence in Dr. Fauci at this point? You are the walking. That's uh, Myrtle the turtle. Um, or yep, that was the turtle. Of the very tyrants that our forefathers recognized would gravitate towards government service, and it is because of people like you that they drafted the First Amendment. The attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. You, oh. like you, would do everything in your power to control speech, to control freedom, to take away our rights. And they've written a document that isn't going to allow you to do that. Unfortunately, we still have courts and judges who recognize that you don't have the power that you are attempting to take, that you do not have the right to limit our freedom of speech, our freedom of association a right to communicate. Thank God we have the First Amendment so that we can stop you from doing what you've been doing. With that, I yield back. Your accusations are false. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, her resting bitch face is definitely on point. Isn't that badass? She's she's badass. I love her. Okay. Um, This is actually um, not great news. Um, but I want to pass it along, and because of what I do for a living, I think it's important that we talk about the dangers of – speaking of, of ways that they're trying to kill us, okay? Ways that they're trying to kill us, one of them is fentanyl. They, uh, the people that use it call it FETI, okay? It's um, about 100 times more addictive. It's about 100 times more lethal, regular heroin, and as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, every person that – that comes into my program uh, who is a heroin addict says you cannot get heroin anymore. It's been stopped. 
So I'm going to read something, and I want you to we'll, – we'll kick it back around. It says, after President Joe Biden's meeting with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping at the APEC summit, the United States made a controversial move to drop a Chinese laboratory from its list of sanctions in the nation's purported fentanyl crackdown. The continued listing of the Institute of Forensic Science on the list was a barrier to achieving cooperation on stopping the trafficking of precursor chemicals used to make the synthetic opioids, State Department spokesman Matthew Miller told reporters on Thursday. Washington had previously accused the IFS, which is part of Chinese Ministry of Public Security, of being implicated in human rights crimes against the country's Uyghur people. In 2020, it was added to the list of sanctioned countries. During a conference in San Francisco on Wednesday, Chinese President Xi Jinping committed to, committed to tighten down on the manufacture of fentanyl compounds in China as the narcotic continues to enter the United States. Beijing has described the IFS as critical to cracking down on precursor chemicals, which are frequently trafficked to Mexico and then used to manufacture fentanyl for illicit entry into the United States. When we evaluated the issue and looked at all the merits of delisting the IFS, ultimately we decided that given the steps China was going to take, bullshit, to down precursor chemicals. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Let's relax. Let's calm down. Your microphone doesn't like it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think you're back. I think you're back. <laughs> okay. When we evaluated the issue and looked at all of the merits of delisting the IFS, ultimately we decided that given the steps to China, steps China was going to take, which is bullshit, down to take down the precursor tracking, it was the appropriate step to take. We have to make tough decisions in this administration, and the decision that we've made is that we looked at the potential of saving American lives by securing this cooperation, he added. So the first thing that I want to say about it is that Donald Trump is the reason why the sanctions were put. He's, he, one of the things that he was signature on was the fentanyl that was coming into our country. He wanted anybody selling fentanyl to get the death penalty. So this is one of the labs that they put on the list, and now they took it off. They're trying to kill us. Yeah, that's that's definitely in the everything is stupid. Uh, yeah, that's, everything is dangerously stupid, right? Okay, yeah. um, so I've got a bunch of stuff, and I need to look at it uh, okay. just for a second, and I won't I won't stay on too long. Yeah. Um, Lily's back too. She had to okay. jump off. Probably had to defrost those steaks. Hi, Lily. Are you back? Hi. How are you? Did you get the steaks defrosted? No. Hello, Lily. Oh man, she's just having a hell of a time today. Well, can you hear me go. now? Yes, yes we, we can. can. Okay, I'm so sorry. I really thought I was muted when I said about the steaks to eat. No, I'm so sorry. We, get okay. we don't care. We thought it was kind of cute. I was about <laughs> to yell up and tell my daughter to, to chop up the cilantro for dinner, so don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, this next one is kind of uh, disturbing. 
This is our food. Yeah, your news report is slipping. Like you're, yeah. I know. You're, you're... <laughs> well, I did all the good news for me. Uh, the January sixth stuff and Trump being not getting kicked off the ballot got got done in hour one. I know. So it's starting to be kind of sad and scary, isn't it? Um, okay, yeah, I'll stop. But this one is about food. They want to wipe out all small and medium-sized producers, centralize food control in the hands of mega corporations in bed with the mega governments. They want to move the population into mega cities and ultimately bring about this great reset. The new world order. I am not eating crickets. I'm just telling you. <laughs> You're not going to eat chickens? No, cricket. No, cricket. No, I'm, I'm not, not eating crickets. Eat I refuse to freaking eat crickets. I don't want to. Uh, eat them. Okay, I don't. Um, uh, okay. So this one is kind of sad but and kind of good in a way. Okay, so you know that we're, that things are really rough with the Palestine, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's very sad. I don't want to, you know, I know we all have different views about that. Um, and it's awful. No, except at, for that at this part. point, I think you're the only one who has a different view. Okay. Yeah, I, I got you. I feel that. And it's okay. All right. But the one thing that we can agree on is that it's awful. People are dying. Amen. Okay. On the good news side, it looks like we're finally going to let go of our obsession with helping uh, Russia and uh, Russians and Ukrainians kill each other. Okay. So that's good. Um, that war, as far as our funding of it, of our, our obsession with it, of our you know, uh, poking and prodding and pushing it and trying to make it worse, what kind of freaking foreign policy is that? We should have never been involved in their crap, and we all know why. Because they were, they were, they were messing around in Ukraine, and, and they had biolabs there, and it was all their little freaking money-making uh, get-down, and, and by God, we were going to – make a mess of it and we did yep all right 20 seconds okay right and a little bit of chicken fry cold beer on Friday night right can okay, I down. ask you about that? I really want to know because it's adorable and I love it every time. That's the cutest little song, and I would love to play the whole song. But why, why do you do that? Oh, because be, – okay. Uh, I have a longer video explaining it, but it's at the beginning of the Ukraine war. Um, yeah. There was these uh, – you know, it's CNN coverage of uh, the raid sirens coming out of uh, Kiev. Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, well, and they're like, okay, but it was now time for, uh, you know, this raid siren brought to you by, and they they put out this ad for Applebee's. Um, <laughs> Go beer on a Friday middle, night. Yeah, in the middle of the raid siren, and, and everybody was like, oh my God, this is. Can we not see the humor in this? That this is such like fake news that they're going to have to stop for advertise advertisers you know what i mean like that's that's what that's the reason i play it it's true it that oh that is adorable that's adorable i i love that okay i'm arguing with a um a guy about why we should elect rhinos but okay so back to the ukraine war (laughs) 
I have it in that everything is dangerously stupid, but it's still good news because guess what? They're finding out that um, a, a report in, from Germany, which states that Russia and Ukraine sought peace at the start of the war, but the but U.S. and NATO aimed to escalate the conflict in pursuit of regime change in Russia or for whatever other asshole reasons that they could that under you know nefarious. The report released last week by Michael von Von der Schulenberg, a former UN Assistant Secretary General who worked for over 34 years for the United Nations, and retired German General Harold Kujat, is a detailed reconstruction of the Russian and Ukrainian attempt at peace at the start of the war, which was blocked by the Biden administration and Western nations. Just one month after the start of the Russian military intervention in Ukraine, Ukrainian and Russian negotiators had come very close to an agreement for a ceasefire and to an outline for a comprehensive peace solution to the conflict. This is Kenokia the Great. David Sachs is he's a Democratic presidential candidate. Did you who? <laughs> who? Um, yeah. Excuse me. I take that back. David Sachs asked Democrat presidential candidate, candidate Congressman Dean Phillips, who did you know Dean Phillips was running for the Democrat primary? Did you know that? Uh, nope. 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 Me neither. Um, he says that we could have stopped this. Just one month after the start of the Russian military intervention in Ukraine, Ukrainian and Russian negotiators had come very close to an agreement for a ceasefire and to an outline for a comprehensive peace solution to the conflict. In contrast to today, President Zelensky and his government had made great efforts to negotiate peace with Russia and bring the war to a quick end. Contrary to Western interpretations, Ukraine and Russia agreed at the time that the planned NATO expansion was the reason for the war. They therefore focused their peace negotiations on Ukraine's, Ukraine's neutrality and its reunification of NATO membership, re renunciation of NATO membership. In return, Ukraine would have retained its territorial integrity except for Crimea. There is little doubt that these peace negotiations failed due to resistance from NATO and in particular from the USA and the UK. The reason is that such a peace agreement would have been tantamount to a defeat for NATO and an end to NATO's eastward expansion and thus an end to the dream of a unipolar world dominated by the USA. The failure of the peace negotiations in March 2022 led to dangerous intensification of the war that has cost the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, especially young people, deeply traumatized a young generation and inflicted the most severe mental and physical wounds on them. Ukraine has been exposed to enormous destruction, internal displacements, and mass impoverishment. This is accompanied by a large-scale depopulation of the country. Not only Russia, but also NATO in the West bear a heavy share of the blame for this disaster. Ukraine's negotiating position today is far worse than it was in March 2022. Ukraine will now lose large parts of its territory. The blocking of the peace negotiations at that time has harmed everyone, Russia and Europe, but above all the people of Ukraine who are paying with their blood the price for the ambitions of, the, of major powers and will probably get nothing in return. So to answer you, this is momentarily concedes the truth in the last few sentences of his answer, Dean Phillips. Democrat presidential candidate Dean Phillips, 
So to answer your question, had there been a peace deal at that point, that simply would have been, we would give you territory back in return for not entering NATO, who in their right mind would say that was a bad deal. Uh, because of, because of there, I yeah, know that there, wasn't yeah. a pop quiz, but. That was not a pop quiz, but there you go. There you go. So we, again, whenever we meddle in something, people die. And you could say that about every single fucking conflict across the globe. We have no business being in in those messes ever. We should never, ever intervene in that kind of stuff. Now, I know at, at probably back in the day, but who fucking knows, you know, because we have, uh, you know, some power and we, you know, we have the ability. We used to have a good foreign service to be able to negotiate peace. But now we just we just create messes. And we fund both sides of, of the messes. And it's just a disaster. Of and virtually every mess. Of every single mess. And we just need to stop our meddling. That's why I love Donald J. Trump. That He kept us out of all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to when he takes the oath of office in, in 2024. Anyway, well, actually, it will be 2025 by the time he actually puts his hand on the Bible, but I'd be okay with that. I can wait. Does anybody have any questions about the stuff that I covered today? Mm, I'm. Uh, I don't have any. Lily, what about you? Are you are you around? I do not have any questions, but I do love you, and I appreciate all the things that you share. Thank you. I love you back. Um, I'm gonna take my dog outside, and I'm gonna feed the chickens, and and then I think I'm gonna go to bed early now that I've <sighs> resolved my computer stress. Thank God. Um. I had a really rough week last week, and um, I covet your prayers because I, more is coming because of the mess from last week. So um, remember, God's still in control. Um, he's still sitting on his throne, and all of this stuff that distresses us, he's, he already sees it. He already sees the end of it. I, he wins. Um, I would <clears> – <throat> I know you guys are going to discuss the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I just would ask that you do me a favor and don't forget to mention the 1,500 people that died on October 7th when you have your discussion. Okay. Okay. Bless you. We love you. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Okay. Lily, are you there? I am. I'm sorry that it keeps hanging up. Apparently, I have to... If the phone screen goes blank on this link, or black, I guess, then it hangs me up. So I'm just making oh. sure it doesn't do that. Oh, boo. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I would like to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, you know, we, we have had some um, strife in the show just because of, um, you know, in my opinion – War propaganda has has been bled into um, some of our uh, contributors. Um, so we can talk about it. We don't have to talk about it, uh, you know. But it seems to be on everybody's mind about the um, the conflict with 
with Palestine and um, Israel. Um, I find it very interesting, though, that people are, um, you know, forgetting that we all know that war propaganda exists, including uh, people who uh, can see right through the Ukraine stuff, you know, but they can't see through the Russia, or sorry, the the Israel stuff, the Israel, um, I mean, what, what do we want to call it, blinders. Yeah, I am very confused by that. Like with all these truthers that know about all the other stuff that's going on and then are very much on the side of Israel is extremely confusing to me. And it seems to be like when I see a lot of them posting, most of what they seem to be posting seems to be very like, you know, like religious stuff that maybe that's why. They think they have to be on that side, I guess. Uh, yeah, that well, makes sense. I don't know, like, what you think is why, but. No, I think that, it, I think you're right. I think that's where the blinders come from. Um, it, also, there are, you know, I guess a, a lot of people on the right have this, um, have their trusted news sources, Right. Um, and and I, I don't consider myself to be on the right, but I have been agreeing a lot with um, Clay and Buck, who are the people who took over for um, Rush Limbaugh after he died. Um, I, I've been agreeing a whole lot with them uh, about COVID, about Ukraine, you know, and, and so on and so forth. There's so many things that I actually like agree with because they say, well, wait a second, you know, I'm, we're taking this. This, these truths, these are not truths, but these, these stories from, you know, the New York Times and, and the Washington Post and all of these things, and we're, we're using them as, as treating them as gospel, basically. And they okay. have been able to see through all of it, except for this. They, you know, the, when they talk about the Palestinian-Israeli um, conflict, it's like they're very confused. They're like, we don't understand how anybody on the left can actually believe that, you know, that uh, Palestine is, is the victim. And we don't understand how, you know, this and that. And we just, you know, how, how anybody can side with these, um, uh, these monsters, these, you know, the, this, it's obviously just pure evil. And how anybody can say that they're that that Palestine, you know, is good when they're clearly trying to genocide Israel? We don't understand how anybody can actually believe in this stuff. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, who's doing genocide right now? And that's why my mom said, okay, there's 1,500 people who died in Israel. Uh, you know, like, be sure to mention them. Okay, we'll mention them. If, you know, I don't believe the babies were beheaded. I don't believe it because that's the war propaganda. But I do believe, you know, that po- that people did die in, in Israel. Well, I can also tell you that, you know, that most of the mainstream media right now is saying that, well, how can anybody, you know, side with the Palestinians when they're trying to genocide Israel? And, and, and completely the opposite is happening. Well, completely the opposite is happening. They are steamrolling. They are, you know, they are bombing out. They're trying to basically do exactly what they're claiming victim for, 
the Israel. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, is doing to Palestine, and I don't understand why all of these people who know all of these things, who understand COVID was was BS, who understands you know X, Y, and Z, can all of a sudden be so on board with exterminating, with genociding a group of people. Yeah, it's wild to me, especially like given that Israel was one of the biggest proponents of the COVID vaccines and. vaccinating their own people and then we were seeing the death toll coming out of that but then they will trust the israeli government in regard to this and they're killing about 128 people a day was the last statistic i saw which is even more than the nazis killed in world war ii since everybody loves to you know like compare the palestinians to hitler or whatever it's actually natanahu that is more related mm-hmm. to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting when they bring up the Bible, just because like when in Acts, when they're talking about um, this group of people that later in Revelations, they refer to again as the synagogue of Satan, they are clearly describing the Jewish star of David that Israel uses, right, as being... Right who these people are that pretend to be Jews and are not Jews. And we know that the Khazarian mafia, you know, when they were given a choice by the monarchies to choose one of three major religions at that time, because they were Satanists and Luciferians and the monarchies were tired of them eating children and, you know, doing all the human sacrifice and said that they would kill them or they could choose a different religion to follow, then they decided to claim that they were Jews and then proceeded to spend a lot of time, including the Holocaust, trying to get rid of the real Jews. I you know, agree. like who could tell people the truth. And so it's all like very incredible to me that people have not realized that yet. And I'm really confused by it or how we can cheer on the murder of over 4,000 children in Palestine, you know, like in schools well, and hospitals. This is, how, that this, is how they, this is how these people justify it, by saying that it's not happening, that it's lies, right. that it's war propaganda. But when we're talking about war propaganda, it's like they, they still completely – believe that the beheaded baby stories that, you know, women and children were, were, you know, targeted in these attacks and all of this stuff. Um, so, so one side of the war propaganda, they totally believe the other side, they don't, you know, there, you know, there's certain people right. who are, I mean, the babies in incubators again, that they yes. went that story again and people actually believed it is baffling to me. Right. Exactly. I would like to play a clip. Um, this is from our friend, Really Graceful, um, and it's called What Christians Aren't Taught About Zionism. And um, I'd love your opinion on this. Welcome, caller. Um, looks like we've got a Skype caller. So uh, so welcome. Please uh, press one if you'd like to be a part of the conversation after this video. Um, if not, we're just glad you're here. Um, are you okay with me playing this? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, Internet friends, if the world is a kaleidoscope of color, you and I could be looking at the same sky and see totally different shades of blue. Reality is much the same in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with its complex and winding history. 
is one of those reality breakdowns where people come away with drastically different reads of the room based on their upbringing, religious affiliation, schooling, television habits. You know how it is. Only, much like COVID and even the war in Ukraine, we are being forced to choose a side. And it's not simply a selection, but a moral decree. An effective way to shatter the calm of the evening is to have an opposing opinion on this issue amongst good company. So today, I'm going to give you a historical overview of the Israel and Palestine conflict that is seldom taught in school or even church to better help us navigate the barrage of violent imagery, harrowing headlines, and narratives meant to stir not only emotion, but serve as a call to action. Let's start with the basics. Judaism isn't Zionism. While Zionism is a political philosophy for a certain group of people, Judaism is a religion. Jewish ancestry is not a requirement for practicing Judaism. To be a Zionist, you don't have to be Jewish. The official definition of Zionism is a movement for originally the reestablishment and now the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. Zionism was established as a political organization in 1897. Basically, Zionists believe that according to the Torah, God made a covenant or a sacred agreement with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Judaism. So in the Old Testament, as it's interpreted by Zionists, God basically acts as a real estate agent and promises Abraham and his descendants a specific land, often referred to as the promised land or the land of Canaan. The land is described in various passages in the Bible and it includes the territory that makes up modern-day Israel, as well as parts of surrounding areas. If you're new here, I'm from the Bible Belt of the United States, where Christian Zionism is widespread. Believe in that Israel and the Jews are the chosen people and that Israel is the promised land for Jews is taught in church as a gateway to salvation and eternal life. Keep in mind that as Christians, we are also taught that the way to eternal life and salvation is through Christ, whom religious Jews reject, and they also reject the idea of hell or eternal damnation. And I just want to remind Christians who might be watching that everything changed with the New Testament, which is why Christians are taught from both the Old and New Testament. Remember, Jesus rolled up, started performing miracles, flipping over tables of money changers, and said, it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you got, who your daddy is. As long as you walk with Christ, you're chosen for eternal salvation. And this changed everything. It gave everyday people hope and put them on an even playing field. Jewish point of view, or we don't believe in the divinity of Christ. I right. think that the, there you can make an argument that the, the Gospels which were written... He was just a prophet. And, right? No, no, no. We don't uh, even believe he was a prophet. What do you think he was? What do you guys uh, think I, I mean, I, what, I, what do I think he was historically? I think he was a Jew who tried to lead a revolt against the Romans and got killed for his trouble. But just like Christians, there are certain sects of Judaism that believe one thing and other Jews believe something else. So Jews who follow the Babylonian Talmud, a rabbinical text, are taught that there is a distinction between Jews, who are considered the chosen people in Jewish theology, and those who are not Jewish. The word used to describe the non-Jewish, including Christians, is goyim or goy. It is a derogatory Yiddish term meaning cattle or beast, often used in place of the word Gentile. And this distinction, or this perception, well, it just totally discards the concept of an even playing field. The perception of the self, the teachings, are inherently otherly in ways that others 
could never achieve if they weren't born into it. The first big departure from Israel happened during the Babylonian exile. Almost 600 years before Christ, when King Nebuchadnezzar II of the Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple. Then Rome conquered Jerusalem in 70-ish AD, destroying the second temple, the central hub of Jewish worship and sacrifice. About 70 years later, the Romans changed the name of the area from Judea to Palestina. Okay, so like I said, the original Bible Jews fled Judea to surrounding areas throughout the centuries. But there's a key event that happened in Jewish history that no one really ever addresses. And I'm just going to warn you, it's a highly debated event. It really gets people worked up to talk about it. During the Middle Ages, between the 7th and 10th centuries, the kingdom of Khazaria ruled over parts of Russia, Kazakhstan, and modern-day Ukraine. So under the Khazarian Empire, the kingdom made all the civilians who were reportedly polytheistic and pagan, they made them convert to Judaism. And it's believed that the decision to convert was a political choice to stay independent and avoid religious pressures from the Christian Byzantine Empire to the west and the Islamic Caliphate to the south. Meaning that Khazarians were not necessarily Jews in the sense that Bible Jews were, if that makes sense. They had the identity but not the connection to ancient Israel. After the fall of the Khazarian Empire in the 10th century, Khazarians migrated and integrated across Europe. In all fairness, it should be noted that a bunch of Jews call the Khazar history a conspiracy theory. They say it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Even though you can open up a history book and it's right there, so I don't know what to tell you. Chinese Muslims don't pretend they're Arabs, but white Europeans claim to be Bible Israelites, and we all just pretend that's perfectly normal. Eventually, Jewish people arrived in Western Europe and America, and forgive me because it's getting a little dicey here, making the distinction between Bible Jews and converted Jews, but apparently it's an important distinction because it determines whether America is willing to send billions of tax dollars and soldiers to a nation. So we've got to at least touch on the difference. So let's fast forward to the late 1800s when Zionism allegedly got its start in response to the resurgence of anti-Semitism. By the way, anti-Semitism before the definition was changed in like 2016 used to mean hostility towards Semites. A Semite being a member of any of the peoples who speak or spoke a Semitic language, including in particular the Jews and the Arabs. Now it just means hatred of Jewish people. When Zionism was just getting traction among the considerations for a Jewish state were Argentina, Uganda, Cyprus, and even Texas. Throughout the early 1900s, numerous Zionist groups began to pop up across the United States, with their various publications serving as a vehicle for Zionist propaganda. The goal was to influence both the United States Congress and the general public. Though the sentiment amongst U.S. officials at the time was that Zionism countered both U.S. interests and principles. Since it involved matters related to other countries other than the United States. Clearly, much has changed since then. But then the world descended into war. A secret deal called the Sykes-Picot Treaty was made during World War I, the result of which was bringing down the Ottoman Empire. The treaty was made public in 1916 and set new borders for the Middle East splitting the area into states. 
in Palestine was put under international control. But strangely enough, the Balfour Declaration, which was written in a letter to Walter Rothschild by the UK's Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour, promised Palestine as a home for the Jewish people. And this letter was sent just one year after the Sykes-Picot Treaty. It's important to remember that the Rothschild banking family actively funded both sides of the war. This was also done during World War II because countries at war needed money to do things like feed and arm their men. But for Rothschild Zionism, making money was just the cherry on top. They needed Jewish people to be traumatized. They needed Jewish people to have a reason to live in fear and want to migrate to Israel, which would serve as a hub to help them rule the Middle East. And they needed global superpowers to back them up. But even before World War II, Zionists were busy buying up land in Palestine and moving there. Palestine was a place where Jews, Christians, and Muslims already lived. The Zionist Federation of Germany and the Nazi government signed the Havara Agreement in 1933. This made it easier for German Jews to move to Palestine. And it let Jewish people in Germany move some of their wealth out of Germany by buying things made in Germany to send to Palestine. Jews who had left their homes used the money they made from selling these goods in Palestine to settle down there. As a result of the deal, about 60,000 German Jews moved to Palestine before it was officially ended when World War II broke out in 1939. Before the State of Israel was officially established, the Palestinians revolted. Zionists said this was because of their anti-Semitism, but Palestine was their home, and the Arabs knew it was being attacked and taken away from them. Were they just supposed to, I don't know, give away their homes and family farms without a peep? Y'all like, oh, no problem, we'll just bulldoze our homes ourselves. That's just a little bit unrealistic, don't you think? 700,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes when the state of Israel was created. Some people might call this an ethnic cleansing of the land. More and more Palestinian land has been claimed by Israel every year since its creation. And every day there is a war. In 1967, Israel was at war with six surrounding Arab states. As a result, Israel won and took over the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and of course, the Syrian Golan Heights. The UN has asked Israel to leave these lands to give them back, but they have held on to them which has created extremely high tensions in the region, giving rise to extremist groups, which are then funded by the CIA and Mossad and whoever else, so they can control the opposition, which is always their MO. Zionists say that their treatment of Palestinians is okay because after World War II, everyone abandoned Israel. They were truly on their own and surrounded by people who didn't like them being there. The excuse for their aggression was that they were protecting themselves. After all, Jewish Zionists believe that they are God's chosen people and that this land was given to them by God and it's their duty, their manifest destiny, if you will, to take it. This argument, this whole argument has transformed into, do we not have a right to protect ourselves in the face of such extreme anti-Semitism? Let's call a spade a spade. It's all a bit gaslighty. As part of Zionism's manifest destiny, there is perpetual war and death in the Middle East. The United Nations doesn't punish Israel for their violations of human rights as they grow into the greater Israel. Even so, Resolution 3379 of the UN General Assembly in 1975 said that Zionism was a form of racism and racial discrimination. This decision was taken away in 1991. 
still, it seems like Israel is a Jewish state, but only for a certain kind of Jewish people. The Palestinian Jews who were there the entire time and the Ethiopian Jews who moved there in the 1980s and early 1990s aren't wanted there. Bethlehem, historically associated with Jesus Christ, has seen its Christian population decrease significantly, from 80% in the 1920s to just 20% today. A similar decline has occurred throughout Palestine, where Christians now make up only about 1% of the population. Some people might say that this decline is because of tensions in the Middle East between Palestinian Muslims and Christians. However, however, a study from 2017 found that the main reason Palestinian Christians left was the pressure of Israeli occupation. The study reported that ongoing restrictions, unfair laws, random arrests, and land seizures are some of the things that make Palestinian Christians feel hopeless. Every day for decades, the Israelis and the Palestinians are at war with each other. Eventually, Israel put up a wall between territories, effectively surrounding the Palestinian population of 2 million like their caged animals, providing only a couple of guarded exits. Palestinian civilians often get caught up in the crossfire, leaving their hospitals, schools, and homes destroyed by Israel. Meanwhile, Israel built their Iron Dome missile defense system in the 2000s to defend against rocket threats from Hezbollah and Hamas. The United States funds both sides of the conflict, giving Palestinians $600 million annually and Israel around $3.3 billion in foreign aid annually. To wrap it all up here, Israel has and continues to commit human rights violations against Palestinian civilians, which have been documented by the UN and human rights organizations. There are repeated examples, daily tragedies that global superpowers have turned a blind eye to. Presumably in the United States, it's because the Zionist lobby has a great deal of power over the politicians. Any criticism of Israel and its practices gets shut down by accusations of anti-Semitism before one sentence ever leaves your mouth. And of course, the Palestinians hate the Israelis. Of course, the Israelis hate the Palestinians. Who is right? Who is wrong? Do you actually believe that the same media who lied to get us into every major war, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars into the war on drugs, intact passports at the bottom of the Twin Tower rubble, War on terrorism, COVID, mass saves lives, Ukraine. Do you actually believe they're telling you the truth about what happened in the last few weeks between Israel and Palestine? The events of which will inevitably escalate and lead to greater involvement of global superpowers and eventually cost the lives of many American soldiers? Do you actually believe that they're telling you the truth? If everything went down exactly as the media reported, of course Hamas is in the wrong for killing Israeli civilians. The whole sophistication of the Israeli intelligence and military surveillance apparatus being down during that particular time is a little suspect, but I digress. I hope that if you're a Christian, you'll consider what I've said. I know you're good people. I know you have big hearts, and I know you hate to see others suffer. But if you're going to cheer on the genocide of an entire population and beg for Americans to get involved, I hope and pray that you know the true identity and intent of our greatest ally in the Middle East. Because by your logic, you're basing your entire eternal salvation on supporting them and their actions. Just make sure that you're sure. That's all. By the way, I wish we had a single politician who was as fired up about what's happening in the United States as they are about Israel. Wouldn't that be something?
What if people directed their energy towards bankers and puppeteers funding both sides of the conflict instead of choosing a side in this false dichotomy? What do you think, Internet friends? I'm sure I've upset some of you by saying this. I just humbly ask for your consideration of what I've laid out here. And, you know, I contemplated a long time about doing this video, and I still felt like after a week it was important enough to post. Relaying this type of information is not something I take lightly. But anyway, thank you for your time. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for buying my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia. Bye. Okay, Lily. I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, I think that what she said was true. And, you know, it's interesting because when we are talking about this term that gets thrown around all the time, this anti-Semitism, the Semites are actually are the Arab people and the Palestinian Christians that have been being slaughtered by the Israelis as well. And so um, it's very interesting, you know, and I've seen like true Jewish people um, who are not Zionists who are true to their own theology and religion, you know, like who have said the exact same thing. Like it is not, you know, the Jewish people themselves are not the Semites that we're talking about when we say anti-Semitism, nor are they supposed to be Zionists. Um, You know, they're not supposed to be subscribing to political ideologies, which is funny. Um, And then they did a study more recently in Israel, and they found through mitochondrial DNA that they did trace back to the Khazars and back to Europe and not to their supposed like land that had always been theirs. Um, and Israel, shortly after that, has outlawed their people to um, subscribe to DNA testing or have different um, like ancestry tests done which I also found to be really interesting, you know, like, because of course the government officials know this about their own people, but they do not allow the people themselves to find out. Well, true, true. And, and if you really think about it, um, Israel got the most jabs, I think, other than, than the United States. And um, I, but I don't think it was because they are Jewish people. You know, I think that um, in, in my opinion, I, I can't hear you anymore. Danielle? Hello? Danielle, are you still there? I can't hear you. I don't know if it's having an issue on my end or yours. When I was in college, I was going to be in advertising, ad age, 
all these advertising publications funny say anyway the reason why i'm showing you this is it says applebee's disappointed applebee's is disappointed with cnn after awkward ad placement during ukraine when i was in college i was going to be Hello. Hello, Lily. Press one if you can hear me. Mm. Oh, there's Lily. All right, good. All right, very good. I didn't know if that, I'm so sorry, I didn't know if that was my technology or yours. Just all of a sudden you were talking and then I couldn't hear you at all. So I hung up and called that. It seems like it was mine. All right, sorry about that. Well, I'm glad it's um, working now. Yay. Okay. Um, all right, anything else to say about that? No, what do you – I am curious what you think about the reasoning for um, the Israeli government to want to jab all of their people. Well, because I don't think they're actually Jews, honestly. I think that there are it, – it's a, a lot more – complex than that. I think there's a lot more. There's Edomites, there's um, uh, um, non-Semites. I think there's a lot of um, non-believers uh, that are living in that area. Um, right. there's, there's a reason that Israel has nuclear weapons and, uh, and America is fine with it, but the rest of the world can't have them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Or Russia. Russia has them and it has to be, you know, has to have NATO basically to monitor them. But nobody wants to say, huh, what? What? Israel has has nuclear weapons? What nuclear weapons? Like, I think they're America 2.0. Absolutely. Yeah. So I... And and the fact that, you know, all of these people who were, um, you know, are in favor of the war in Ukraine, the little guy, right? Like, there's, there's this row of houses on my way to drop off my children at school. Um, they only go for a couple hours. It's independent. But there's this row of houses that, like... Uh, and, and we're talking about a zip code that has that actually houses like legitimate one percenters. Um, right. So on the way to school, we see all of these Ukrainian flags popping up next to American flags. Some of them don't have American flags. Um, one of them has a Ukrainian flag and a California flag. But then after this conflict started, uh, Israeli flags started showing up it's it's really like a tale telltale sign of um how much the military industrial complex rules public opinion and um you know i'm not you know i i i'm exposed to so many people so many variety you know all these varieties of people on social media but these people i don't know these people but they're obviously exposed to something that makes them think that they are virtue signaling by right. putting up 
Ukrainian flags and Israeli flags. Absolutely. Well, and just like I have seen even Israeli military, like former military, talking about their surveillance dome and how, you know, like a cockroach can't get under the dome without them knowing about it. And um, the one I'm thinking of, this woman who was talking, you know, like she is the one who used like the cockroach analogy, but she was saying that there are military members, like several of them who, you know, like they watch these huge screens that show like all of the area around the dome. And so to be able to get like supposedly tractors of people, you know, like through is virtually impossible. And so I really do think that it is another false flag, like nine 11, you know, that they, people, I think when they hear false flag, they're assuming like, Oh, it didn't happen at all, but no, like it did happen. It was just allowed to happen. So if those 1500 people died, then you should be just as mad at the Israeli government. Tip and stop it. Sorry about my dog. For letting no, okay. them die, you know, as as they think that they are at the Palestinians, because clearly their government and their military were told to stand down and allow that to occur. I totally agree. Um, yeah, and, and people just kind of like over, like it's weird. Like they rationalize it and they ignore certain things. You know, it, this, these have all of the tell, um, telltale signs as, as the psyops that we've been living through for the last few years. And it's really Even when you're talking about January 6th, you know, and like yes. some of those Capitol Police having to be in on what was going on, you know, and like we've seen the video footage. They moved the fencing. They, you know, motioned for people to come through. They allowed them in. You know, it's the same thing, just on a much larger scale, obviously, in Israel when you're going to kill 1,500 people and then justify the murder of thousands upon thousands of people in response to that. Well, that's a false flag. That's a hoax. That's really not – that's war propaganda. That's what people are saying. (laughs) You know, it's it's so frustrating. Um, There is a a clip, um, and I'm not – you know – I'm not 100% sure how true this is, but this is um, a Palestinian person um, that is talking about why this conflict is actually happening. Um, it's it's not too long, so I'm going to play it. Um, I don't, hold on. There we go. Three, two, one. I don't think people have any idea what's really happening in Gaza and why it is happening. A few weeks ago, right before this war in Gaza ignites, Netanyahu goes to the United Nations General Assembly and he holds up this map and declares his plan for a new Middle East. And people are going, what is is this stupid line this guy's drawing with a red marker? What it is, is an economic corridor that stretches all the way from India to the United Arab Emirates, into Saudi Arabia, into Jordan, Israel, and then finally to the entire European continent. I mean, the United States at this point seeing their influence starting to fade, seeing the relevance of the dollar uh, recede after they stole $300 billion from Russia. You have all these spooks in Washington and Tel Aviv, you know, running around desperately trying to counter BRICS and counter China's new Silk Road. And this is their answer. This is a rival to the new Silk Road. Remember, the ancient Silk Road is the largest, most important trade route in human history. This thing is enormous. It stretches all the way from China to Syria to the Mediterranean Sea. 
The Chinese know how important this thing is, and they want to revive it. It is the future of world economics, trade, and politics. Within the span of a few weeks, Iran and Iraq have signed a railway deal. So now you have a rail link for the new Silk Road. And President Assad of Syria, who the West have been trying to isolate for over a decade, is now visiting China, the world's largest economy, and signing a strategic partnership. This is pivotal. So now the new Silk Road has rail access all the way to the Mediterranean Sea through Syria's port in Latakia. So not just land, but maritime trade. This is crucial. And as enormous and important as all of this is, this is just one aspect. This is just one aspect. You still have the gas. How can we talk about the Middle East without talking about gas and oil? When the U.S. instigated the Maidan coup in 2014, that wasn't just about NATO expansion and encirclement of Russia. This was about surrounding, controlling, and cutting off Russian gas to Europe. Russia is the country with the largest proven reserves of natural gas. Control Ukraine, and you control the pipelines that feed and supply Russian gas to Europe. For decades, you've had U.S. politicians, Republican and Democrat, from every administration, openly saying on camera, we don't want Nord Stream. There will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. You want to have pipelines that don't go through Ukraine and Russia. Uh, for years, we've tried to get the Europeans to be interested in different pipeline routes. It's time to do that. You want to depend more on the North American energy platform, the tremendous bounty of oil and gas that we're finding in North America. Lo and behold, Nord Stream 1 and 2 are blown up. I mean, this is without question the most egregious the largest terrorist attack on European infrastructure in modern history. There are only three countries... And everybody forgets that. ...countries on this planet that can pull this off. They are Russia, Britain, and the United States. And let me tell you, it was not Russia. You combine that with the sanction packages from the European Union, banning Russian oil and gas. I mean, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. So now there's no more Russian gas coming into Europe. And just like that, the United States have achieved a long-standing foreign policy objective. Now, the only other country with enormous gas reserves, the second largest in the world, is Iran. Iran signed the nuclear deal in 2015 and 2016. They're complying in every way imaginable. The IAEA at the UN cannot be happier. And then the United States, you know, the guys who orchestrated the whole deal, go back on their word and they rip it up just like that and reimpose sanctions on Iran. So now Iran is barred from selling its oil and gas to Europe and others. So Russia and Iran, the two countries with the largest gas reserves are out of the picture. Then Israel all of a sudden proposed themselves as a solution to the European Union's gas shortages. Take our trilateral energy, for example, that we closed in June with Egypt and Israel. It has played an important role in our strategy to get rid of the Russian fossil fuels. How convenient. How convenient. Yeah, Egypt and Israel. Egypt is also a key player to this, but here we go. In 2010, they conduct a geological survey and find this monstrous giant gas field in the Middle East. It's called the Leviathan, and it's in the Mediterranean Sea on the Levantine Basin. That means it's right off the coast of Palestine, Lebanon, Syria. Syria initially declines offers over its gas reserves and simultaneously refuses to lay pipes for a Qatari gas project. What a coincidence. 
Barely a year later, war breaks out in Syria. And who's funding it? Qatar and Israel and the United States are just some of the parties funding and running this war to overthrow the government in Damascus. Today, the United States control one-third of Syria. They control all of Syria's oil fields. And Israel is bombing Syria's most vital port, Latakia, on a regular basis. So they're cutting off all the oil revenue and destroying, crippling any maritime activity, such as trade, such as gas exploration. Another major port on the Levantine coast is in Beirut, which mysteriously explodes in 2020. And so Israel, proposing itself as a solution to Europe's gas shortages, shows up with an FPSO, this enormous gas extraction vessel, and tries stealing gas from Lebanon's Karish gas field. And, you know, this reignites a huge maritime border dispute. And Israel has to go and beg the United States to solve this diplomatically because Hezbollah said, if you steal one cubic inch of our gas, we will fire our missiles on your ship. Now we come to Gaza. Gaza also has its own unexplored gas field. Gaza is also a concentration camp run by the Israelis. And it's been under siege by Egypt and Israel under naval blockade since 2007. I mean, you can't even fish properly, let alone extract gas. And so now the Lebanese, the Syrian, the Palestinian ports, they're all out of action. And the only working port left in the coast is the Israeli port on Haifa. I mean, how convenient. This makes Israel the only one able to explore gas and implement an economic corridor like the one that Netanyahu held up at the UN. So in other words, Israel and the United States together killed off all the competition, stole their goods, and cornered the market. But as winter is approaching, Israel desperately needs to get that gas for Europe. But there's no stability. There can never be stability in the region without solving the Palestinian question. And so when Netanyahu shows up at the UN with his brilliant plan, you know, the Israelis thought, oh, it's a done deal. You know, they'll just get Saudi Arabia to normalize ties and thereby extinguish the Palestinian issue once and for all. And that is precisely why they are in Gaza slaughtering Palestinians like crazy, like they're in berserker mode. You know, Israel has bombed Gaza before, but this surpasses anything we've ever seen, which is truly saying something. I mean, this is unhinged. You know, calling people human animals and massacring them. Israel is just hoping the Palestinians will run away in fear into the desert. They've literally said this. They want to put them in the desert. They want people in Gaza to go to the Sinai Desert and push the people in the West Bank into Jordan. This is genocide and ethnic cleansing without question. But it also has economic and geopolitical implications. Hamas and the collective resistance, when they found out about Israel's plan and Saudi Arabia's wishes to normalize ties with Israel, which would destroy any hope of a Palestinian state, I mean, this forced their hand. It became clear they needed to act and respond immediately, lest Palestine be lost forever. For Palestinians, this is and always has been a matter of life and death, to be or not to be. Either the resistance axis and the global south expel the American and Israeli colonizers from the Middle East, or Israel and the United States will continue occupying the region, choking off the new Silk Road, plundering Syria's oil, and keeping Russian, Iranian, and Arab gas cut off from the world market. This is a decisive moment, and not just for Palestine, because the victors will end up drawing the new map of the world to come. Oh, Lily. I don't think people have Please. any idea. Sorry.
Let me know what you think about that. Uh, Lily? No, I'm unmuted. I'm so sorry. It gives me a weird message, so I couldn't tell if I was muted or not. Yeah, but I think fine. I figured you're it fine. out now. If it says that I'm not muted, then I am. So it's just the opposite. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't use that channel, so I'm sorry. But, I mean, you no, don't be. So I'm trying to just, like, gather my thoughts a little bit. But, yeah, um, it that certainly is an ethnic cleansing and a genocide, as we have discussed, you know. And I'm not surprised to hear that they would like them just to all be pushed out into the desert. Um, Does that have um, Native American ties for you? Yeah, so, um, you know, the people of Turtle Island, as we call North America, like, we have always felt um, camaraderie with the Palestinians, um, you know, just like in terms of their situation with land and a group of people not being originally from that land that now claim that that is their land, you know, and just Mm -hmm. continue Mm -hmm. to displace people until they've taken most of it and then to go and change the map, you know, to now say that it is Israel rather than say that it is Palestine, as the map used to say, um, and just effectively kind of erase an entire people. And also um, in some of the videos that I have seen, you know, like they'll show some of the Palestinian people doing like this cultural dance um, in the face of all of the bombing and stuff. And when you watch how they dance, it's interesting to me because it is very similar to um, like a lot of our dances that we have at different powwows and stuff, you know, like our cultural dances. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so there's been like a meme that is one of my favorite memes that's been going around that shows an indigenous um, native person from here like dancing and a Palestinian person dancing and they're both dancing on a piece of barbed wire and it says from Turtle Island to Gaza. Oh, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Especially because, you know, um, a big argument, you know, uh, of of people who are pro-Israel is mm-hmm. that, what, why can't they just go find their own land? Why can't, you know, uh, go get a job? You know, go, the Palestinians need to, to, to get a job. And, and why is it that Israel is supplying all of the um, uh, energy to, go, to Gaza? Why, why can't they just go and do it themselves? I mean, and I really do feel like this Native American, um, uh, you know, a connection with what's going on there. And and it's I don't know it, it it's it has been bugging me for weeks and I'm and I'm glad you're here I'm glad that we have um, at least a, a pro other side um, you know they Palestinians had to leave their lands were forced off their lands and now here and now uh, they're on this reservation. And and they're being attacked on their reservation, and the world is like, uh, um, they're the aggressors. Right. I mean, to you know, genocide of people, you have to effectively vilify that group of people, you know, so that they don't get any support. And so 
we've seen them vilify indigenous people here, you know, like blaming the tribes to say that, well, you know, like they had the native people had attacked first and didn't want them here and attacked mm-hmm. trading posts or the steam engines or, you know, different things. And then, of course, like the stereotypes, you know, that all native people are drunk and lazy and like just won't do anything for themselves. And it's with the same, you know, like narrative that they're utilizing in Palestine. You know, these Palestinians are Agreed. aggressive, they're terrorists. Um, they are attacking. I mean, I remember in eighth grade was really the first time that I found out about what was going on there. And um, I was part of Amnesty International. And there was an article <clears throat> about Rachel Corey, who had gone over um, to help and to protest what Israel was doing. And she was staying with this family and she got really close with them and a Palestinian family. <clears throat> and as they were coming and like by force bulldozing these people's homes with oftentimes with the family in their home, trapped in the home as they're just bulldozing it. Um, and so Rachel Corey had stood in front of a home and the bulldozer, like they saw her and the Israelis like ran her over on purpose. And the last, her last words before she died were, Oh my God, I think my back is broken. And um, it was just absolutely atrocious. And so I did a lot of research, you know, on trying to find out, like, what is happening and, like, why is this happening? And that was really my first introduction. And so it's hard for me to, like, sometimes kind of, like, remember and understand, like, why people could be falling for this propaganda, you know, just because I've known about it for this amount of time. Um, But really, it's because, you know, just the way that we have these super corporations in America, um, like Google and stuff that can erase things so that we only are seeing for the most part what they would like us to see, you know, Israel has a similar, like amount of like money and power and ability to do that. And what's even more interesting to me, though, too, is, you know, as um, that woman who was talking in that video that you shared about the Goyam and the Talmud, you know, um, the way that like the people that are defending the Zionists, the way that they view, you know, all other people that are not them, including the light skinned Christian people that I see like over and over defending them. I mean, they're cheering on the low birth rates of what they call like the white people. And they're cheering on the fact that everybody really hates white people now. Um, You know, and it's all very interesting because I feel like since they are lighter skinned that maybe a lot of these like quote unquote white Christians, um, you know, feel kind of like more connected with them and, you know, like a kinship with them because they look similar. But the Zionists do not feel a similar kinship, you know, like at all with them. Yeah, that's really interesting because... um, that that was one of the the biggest things about support for Ukraine is that oh we can't you know we're watching white people die you know now really graceful is the um the channel that did that video um okay. she this is she's had a really interesting um uh upstart she was a makeup tutorial person on YouTube Right. Okay. So, yeah. So way back in the day, uh, so she would do makeup tutorials, and then, and then she was introduced to Pedogate. Oh, and she cool. Did, so then that's yeah. how she came to our side. Yes, 
she did very cool. God, probably twenty Pedogate uh, videos, you know, about Epstein, about um, um, the monarchy, about um, the oh, what's the one um, Johnny Gosh, um, the yeah, like so many of these um, stories about the Franklin cover-up scandal. Um, she would do these. Uh, these um, five minute or less videos about Pedogate on the back of her million viewer subscription on uh, makeup tutorials. You know what I mean? Like she already had a big following and then she was like, Oh fuck this shit. We're going to expose what I'm, I'm seeing now. And I've got my numbers and I'm not going to be um, taken down because um, I know the rules and um, I already have a following. Like, so she's really one of my favorites. That's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Really graceful. Look her up. I will. I love to hear, like, the different way, like, awakening, um, you know, like, journeys that other people have had because, um, like, you and I feel like have a pretty similar one. Um, you know, like we have been like on the same side for so many issues, like since like Bernie and Standing Rock and everything. And so, um, we have like a similar one, I feel like, but then, um, seeing other people, you know, like going from like makeup tutorials to, um, you know, like telling the world the truth is really neat and really interesting to hear about, like, you know, cause I just like, I do like, I feel a kinship with all of the people who are conscious. And so, um, the different ways in which we were like woken up are super beautiful and interesting to me. Exactly. Like there's this concept of the awakening that gets, um, I guess just tied up Donald Trump. Right. And so poo pooed. Um, But the awakening is, has really nothing to do with Donald Trump. And um, no, and it started before him. I mean, I think he helped a lot of people, you know, in the same way that Bernie, like, you know, regardless of my opinions now about Bernie one way or another, like Bernie, you know, like I can never say that he did not assist people in waking up and figuring out what was going on, you know? Yeah. And so Donald Trump like has done the same amount, I feel like, in helping people to wake up. But none of this started with Bernie or Donald Trump or any other political figure, you know? I totally agree. Um, I, I want to play another video. It's, it's you know, we'll, we'll probably have 10 minutes left to, um, to talk about this, but this is another really graceful video. It's called The Real White Devil. Very um, cool. I, yeah, I'd like to play it. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, Internet friends. For most of American history, our diets were seasonal limited to what could be grown in the garden, preserved, and stored in a root cellar. Nowadays, in the age of plenty, food is produced less as a necessity and more of a competitive commodity, with corporations offering an endless array of choices to consumers. 200 years ago, the average American consumed around 2 pounds of added sugar a year. But today, we eat around 55 pounds of added sugar per year, a jarring total of 2 tons of added sugar in a lifetime. But we might see a sharp decrease in those numbers soon. Not because Americans are consuming less sugar, but because projected lifespans are on the decline. 
with the leading causes of death in America ranging from heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Not terrorism and mass shootings as the -the around-the-clock news coverage would have you believe. That's why today we're going to discuss the tobacco of our generation, the real white devil we affectionately refer to as sugar. So let's begin. Colonial America revolved primarily around agriculture, and meals were generally limited to what was in season, as fresh fruits and vegetables were not available year-round, and meat was restricted to what could be freshly harvested from one's own property and preserved accordingly. Typical sugar consumption during these times consisted of fresh fruits, honey, the occasional treat in the form of a baked good, as well as sweetened alcoholic beverages. This was the case for most of our history, up until the advent of industrialization and urbanization, when people left their farms to begin working at factories within the city. The great shift was compounded by farmers leaving home to join the war effort during the First World War. Eventually, farming reached a low point in 1932, when many Americans were knee-deep in the Great Depression, barely getting by. The government responded accordingly, as they always tend to do in a very Hegelian dialectic sort of fashion, attempting to reinvigorate farms during this time, but basically small farmers were phased out. And the big guys got bigger, especially with the introduction of new machinery that largely reduced the need for agricultural labor. To summarize, people went from growing and cooking their own food, to moving into the cities and relying on government-subsidized farms to provide for the population. There was a brief moment there when victory gardens were considered patriotic during war times and were promoted by the government, and people had a temporary stretch of growing their own food again. But that moment was fleeting, because as time went on, the innovations in agriculture, from harvesting to processing, allowed the food supply to flourish. The age of cows and plows was over and the age of farming while sitting down had begun. Which brings us to the Eisenhower era of the 1950s. The unprecedented economic prosperity the United States experienced in the post-World War II boom not only inspired confidence and optimism in the face of mounting international tensions, but this prosperity also gave way to a smorgasbord of conveniences that supplied a seemingly unlimited host of offerings to the age-old question. What's for dinner? Well, the answer was whatever you'd like. And even better, you and your family were able to eat your dinner in front of a television now, just in time for the nightly programming. Not only did microwaves and TV dinners come into vogue during this time, but diners and later drive throughs with their hamburgers, french fries, and milkshakes would emerge as a staple in the American diet, using popular cartoon characters to appeal to children through television advertising, with the goal to get parents to bring their children through the golden arches for a happy meal in an afternoon frolicking around the ball pit at the Play Palace. It's kind of sinister if you think about it, but at the time it seemed harmless and fun. That being said, it's important to note that there's a definite trend that emerged during this time that we still see today. Television advertising, American fast food corporations, and consumer food corporations working in perfect perverse harmony together, targeting children and adults alike. Because these folks realized long before it was common knowledge that junk food, and in particular, added sugar, is addictive. There is actual evidence in science to back up this claim. You see, sugar, as it's used by corporations today, is more like a drug and less like a food. 
having immediate effects on the body and the brain. Fructose, which is one of the two major components of added sugar along with glucose, is the main culprit here. Studies have shown that while glucose can be used by every cell in the body, only the liver can metabolize fructose in significant amounts. That's why when people eat a high calorie and high fructose diet, the liver is overloaded and begins turning that fructose into fat. That's why too much fructose can inflame the liver and cause non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Ultimately, too much sugar can manifest as insulin resistance, which is known to make you crave more sugar and contributes to diseases like diabetes, heart disease, pancreatic cancer, gout, and kidney disease. According to the FDA, since fructose doesn't poison you after ingesting it once, it's considered safe. We know that fructose is metabolized by the liver, but the FDA says the liver doesn't get sick after one fructose-laden meal, so it gets a pass. The problem is that the liver gets sick after years worth of fructose-laden meals. And guess what the typical American diet revolves around? You got it, fructose-laden meals. The main distinction between a piece of fruit and the processed foods with added sugars that have plagued shelves for the last several decades is that fruit is naturally occurring, of low caloric density and contains loads of fiber. There's a synergy of sorts within fruits that aids in digestion and allows the body to process the sugars in a way that doesn't overload the system. However, the processed foods on our grocery store shelves contain added sugars without the balance of fiber or nutrients, designed to program the consumer to continually chase their sugar buzz. Since childhood, we've been exposed to thousands upon thousands of advertisements conditioning us to crave sweets. The more sweets we consume, the greater the addiction, and the more that these mega corporations profit. Diagnosed heart disease was an absolute rarity at the turn of the century, but by the Eisenhower era, heart disease was affecting middle-aged men at an alarming rate. When President Eisenhower suffered a heart attack in 1955, it was his chief physician who gave a press conference detailing a few ways Americans could avoid heart disease by cutting down on fat, cholesterol, and cigarettes. During this time, the only nutritional authorities in people's lives were government officials and primary care physicians. And both of these sources began to promote low-fat diets for a healthy lifestyle, armed with the trusted and widespread scientific hypothesis that saturated fat was the sole culprit for America's declining health and rising rates of obesity. It was believed and promoted that if we eat fat, we will be fat. And this diet fad persisted for over 40 years. The fat scare gave rise to a tidal wave of added sugars and lab-grown frankensugars. High fructose corn syrup is a sweetener made from cornstarch, first introduced in the 1970s by the Clinton Corn Processing Company. And it took off because it was cheaper and easier to handle than regular sugar. Over the years, corporations began manufacturing low-fat diet-specific foods, and these low-calorie and low-fat processed foods often had sugar added for flavor. Without the sugar, they tasted like cardboard. So these foods that were heavily marketed as healthy were anything but. High fructose corn syrup managed to find its way into not only the obvious sources like soda, ice cream, candy, and cakes, but into salad dressings, sandwich breads, pastas, crackers, and frozen dinners. Places where you would never expect there to be added sugars. According to the Corn Refiners Association, high fructose corn syrup is no worse for you than any other carbohydrate. But since the advent of high fructose corn syrup being introduced into the American diet, 
There's overwhelming evidence to suggest that's anything but the truth. Along the way, there were individuals who tried to warn us that fructose consumption was steadily increasing right alongside the obesity epidemic. And there could be a correlation and cause for concern. In 1972, John Yudkin, a British professor of nutrition, published his book, Pure White and Deadly, detailing the hazards of added sugars. Sugar industry professionals and nutritionist colleagues went out of their way to discredit and ridicule Yudkin. Had his findings and research not been suppressed, his work could have saved millions. But instead, he was attacked and ultimately, his career was destroyed because he didn't go along with accepted science. Sound familiar? Rather recently, reports have revealed that the U.S. sugar lobby paid for influential research in the 1960s to downplay the link between sugar and coronary heart disease and instead point the finger at fat. Let me repeat that again for my people in the back. Scientists, experts who most folks rely on to find and relay facts, peddled their selective research while repressing conflicting research at the expense of every single American. Not only that, but ethical professionals were destroyed for questioning the findings and authority of these compromised individuals. All the while, government officials lined their pockets with dirty dollars from lobbyists to promote that profoundly flawed and sponsored science. Because lobbying is totally legal here in the United States. Our entire food pyramid that was introduced in 1992 is basically just a product of lobbying. I remember being taught the food pyramid in my elementary school, which was a government-run public school. And we had to memorize the number of healthy servings of each food group that adults were allowed per day, ranging from 6 to 11 servings of bread, cereal, rice, pasta, and other whole grains a day, to 3 to 5 servings of vegetables and 2 to 3 servings of dairy. Teachers instructed students that grains prevented heart disease and red meat caused it. Meanwhile, that same year, our school field trip was a tour of the world of Coca-Cola where we got to sample flavors of Coke from around the world. If you grew up with a television inside your home and attended public school where you were taught the food pyramid, it's likely that you've tried to adhere to the guidelines to make some attempt at physical longevity. And you're not stupid. You're not drinking a can of Coke under the impression that it's doing something beneficial for your body. But you might drink a glass of grocery store orange juice or juice cocktail under the false pretense that it's healthy. But if you look at the label, it contains as much, if not more sugar than a can of Coke, with none of the fiber of an actual piece of fruit. And while you're at it, you've got to work some whole grains into your diet because the food pyramid says so. And if you look at the label, most of the cereals, crackers, pastas, and breads have heaps of added sugar. And each time you go to the grocery store, it's becoming more and more difficult to spot on the labels because high fructose corn syrup has such a horrible reputation that they've concealed its presence by switching out its name. Even the snacks for babies that are considered healthy, according to the label on the box, have tons of added sugar. That is to say, if you're even lucky enough to reproduce because insulin resistance wreaks havoc on the reproductive system, then not even your baby is safe from disgusting corporate greed. While sugar alone is not responsible for the obesity epidemic and health crisis, these refined added sugars are a deadly food additive, and they're killing millions upon millions of people a year. Sugar can certainly have its time and place as long as you're choosing to eat it, but the problem is that most people don't even realize they're eating it. According to the CDC, 71% of American adults are now considered overweight. 
40% of American adults are obese, and a startling 20% of adolescents ages 12 to 19 are obese. It is known that people who are obese have higher rates of cancer, diabetes, and other preventable conditions. Published only a week ago, a new study has found that life expectancy rates are continuing to decline with adults ages 25 to 64 being the age group that saw the largest increase in mortality rates with deaths associated with obesity and hypertension. So let's ask the question, who is benefiting from the obesity epidemic? Certainly not the average American. The mega corporations that produce a lion's share of food sold in grocery stores benefit, the fast food companies benefit, the diet industry benefits, government officials who are bought and paid for by these lobbies benefit, scientists who peddle selective research for money benefit, and the more obese the person, the more likely they are to suffer from a disease or condition which will then be treated and monitored in a healthcare facility and managed by pharmaceuticals. So I think it's fair to say that the pharmaceutical industry benefits too. While in recent years the correlation between excess sugar intake and obesity has been addressed in the news, it seems to come in the form of a plea for government intervention. I will never advocate for more government on this channel. When you rely on the government to tell you what's good for you, you get a food pyramid, worth less than the paper they printed on. Let's face it, no government is going to come and save us. How much bought and paid for science do they need to push for us to realize that all they do is manipulate the public to further specific agendas? Corporations run the world. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Nestle, these are some of the most evil corporations ever. We've allowed these corporations to poison our bodies for decades. We're nothing more than human guinea pigs in their never-ending experiment on society. Why support them? During the age of agricultural abundance, when so much of the American diet is comprised of manufactured components of food, and processed foods are the cheapest and most widely available foods at the grocery store, it's true that we're better fed now more than any time in history, but we're also less nourished. Most people have no idea where their food comes from, and the personal connection to agriculture that once existed is a thing of the past. Something's gotta give. Society is headed down such a dangerous path. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be dependent on pharmaceuticals at any point in my life. I don't want to die from a totally preventable disease. I've got things to do, and dying early would really put a damper on things. I realize it takes a lot of time to cook food that isn't from a package, and that many people don't want to take the time after a stressful day of work to cook a wholesome dinner. And not only that, but they often don't have the energy to after a long work day. But it really seems like the only way out is to stop trading your health for convenience. We've got to make dinner at home and eat whole foods and eliminate the processed stuff by training our bodies not to crave these synthetically sweet frankenfoods. On an anecdotal note, I would never propose something to you I wouldn't practice myself. So starting on September 1st, I decided to limit my sugar intake and eat a low-carbohydrate diet with an emphasis on whole, unprocessed foods. I didn't change my caloric intake and I continued incorporating intermittent fasting into my routine, as I had before. I documented the process by taking a photograph of my face every month and, I mean, you can tell just from the decrease in my face bloat that my body thanked me for making this change. I ended up losing over 20 pounds in September and I feel so good that I'm absolutely not going to stop. I also really love gardening. Homegrown fruits and vegetables always taste better, and it's a great way to be less dependent on grocery stores and corporations for sustenance. 
I am by no means a prolific or expert gardener. It's a lot of trial and error for me in my own personal agricultural empire, but I enjoy the process nonetheless. Almost as much as I enjoy seeing pictures of your homegrown food and impressive gardens that you share with me. So, what do you think, internet friends? Do you go out of your way to avoid high fructose corn syrup and processed foods? Have you ever tried to cut out refined sugars from your diet? What was your experience? Let me know. You know I always look forward to your comments. Thank you so much for watching, subscribing, and supporting my channel on Patreon. Bye! That was a very good video, Daniel. I liked what she said about sugar and the food pyramid, and it was very interesting to hear, um, you know, like the history behind that, especially since we're going through like a new phase now of them trying to get rid of all of our smaller farmers and like local fairy, I can't say words, local family farms. Um, so hopefully we will have learned from what they did before and not allow that to occur this time. I'm sorry. Hold on. I think I had you on, on mute, Lily. Um. Oh, that's fine. I was just trying to be helpful because it seemed like your microphone wasn't working. No, it was not. But it was working except um, <clears throat> I had it on mute. So sorry about that. Um, no, you're perfect. Yeah, no, exactly. So you heard the video, but he, here's another one. Um, have you ever tried monk fruit? I have not. I want to. It's amazing. Here, hold on. I'm going to play. This is very short, three minutes. Lakanta was born from a desire to completely change the sugar-free world and to help people live their best lives. It all started over a thousand years ago in remote mountain highlands of Asia, where a sect of Buddhist monks called the Lokan discovered a rare fruit prized for its sweetness. The sacred fruit was called monk fruit and was used in the elixirs to increase chi, the life energy that flows through the physical, emotional, and spiritual body. Due to its healthy antioxidant nature and longevity of its caretakers, the fruit became known as the Immortal's Fruit. In 1993, a diabetic Japanese entrepreneur named Shoto Saraya came into the picture, searching for a sugar-free, all-natural sweetener that would actually taste like sugar but wouldn't compromise his health. His journey inevitably led him to the mountain highlands of Guilin, where he was introduced to the legendary monk fruit. It was exactly what he was looking for. He commissioned a team of renowned scientists to be the first in the world to design a process to extract the monk fruit sweetness used as a sugar-free, zero-calorie, superfood sweetener with a true-to-sugar taste. Uh, 
At this point in time, the sugar epidemic was reaching an all-time high throughout the world. Rates of type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and many other deadly diseases were all skyrocketing. And at the center of it all, sugar. It was time to share the immortal's fruit with the world. In a cramped office in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains of Utah, Lakanto was born. Thanks to our talented employees and loyal customers, we are now able to help people across the world to more conveniently manage their health, to help prevent disease, to maintain mental focus and energy, to control blood sugar, to lose weight. fruit is still grown high on the slopes of Wayland and harvested according to the natural ancient traditions which supports entire rural communities in China. And through our environmentally friendly zero emissions plant, we create jobs while taking care of the planet. But we aren't stopping there because we know what we eat affects all aspects of our life. What started off as a passion to responsibly battle the sugar epidemic has now grown to become so much more. Like the Lohan monks of old, we use monk fruit to help people discover their chi, to discover connection, well-being, and satisfaction, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We enable people to manage their health and reach their highest potential. To be more, do more, and live more. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I'd like your uh, your thoughts on that. That's incredible. I really love that. And I think that, it, you know, the first video was a great segue into this video. Like, not only that we need to, like, do better when it comes to what we're eating in our health, but and how, you know, like, our eating habits became inverted and controlled and all of that. But then, like, suggestions of actually how to solve the problem, you know, rather than just telling people, like, you need to do better. Yeah. Without giving them ways how. Well, and giving, I believe that our government um, channels are giving information that is contrary to health, right? And so here we have these monks who who live, you know, um, and I think it's the, um, God, I want to say the Swiss, the Swiss Alps, but not, I, I don't know for sure, but definitely um, monks. Um, gosh, um, not Swish. They said um, Chinese Alps. Um, but I would love to know if I can grow it here in Southern California. Right. This is not, you know, we, we live in basically Eden. I would like to know if I can grow it here. Absolutely. That would be wonderful to find out. And speaking of California, I don't know if you – we're in charge of putting up those pictures with those people who had, um, you know, like passed on from the vaccine injuries, but that was really wonderful. And I appreciate you or whoever did that. Oh, definitely close friends who did this. Um, I'm, I'm, um, you know, integrated into that community, but not me though. I, I cannot take credit for it, but, um, but yeah, like that information needs to be exposed just as well as this white devil 
needs to be exposed, right? So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. I did not do that. I, and, um, and I am very grateful for the people who, who did. But um, expect to see this all over Southern California, um, you know, at least for this thing. You know, he, we talk about things that are injected into our bodies, right? And obviously, we know, and this audience knows, that it's not um, healthy. But I don't know if, um, if, if people understand that the real white devil starts with food, which is part of the, the biggest contribution that I hope to give to this show is that, that we have to take back the resource of food. Absolutely. I mean, what she was talking about that they did with farmers, you know, and getting rid of the family farms and moving everyone into cities and suburbs, like that is, you know, just more of what they're trying to do now to try another effort to get rid of local smaller farms, you know, like not just in this country, but in Europe and Canada and elsewhere as well. Yeah, everywhere. So, everywhere. you know, like pushing for us to be able to keep that this time is really important because she's entirely right. You know, like we used to eat very differently. Not only did we not consume sugar, except for like the sugar that's naturally produced in plants or sometimes added to baked goods for treats, but we also ate what was seasonal and in our gardens. Like we didn't, everyone didn't go to the grocery store and just buy everything you know that's imported and packaged and grown in one place and then imported to another country to be packaged and then sent here i totally agree yeah i totally agree um you know we, we've all heard my story about chickens right and how the first chickens that we um you know that we uh, housed and um our first eggs, I'm like, oh, first eggs, and I crack them open, and they're, you know, dark orange, and I'm like, well, what's wrong with my chickens? Right. Is, yeah, we all know now that that's um, that's real. That's that's what food is supposed to look like. But coming from this um, perspective of we don't know what food is supposed to look like. It really was a coming to Jesus moment. Sugar should be no different. So I really do Absolutely. believe. Yeah, I really do believe that if we can, if we can understand. Oh, stop. We've got Harvey. Stop it. We have a, um, we're um, boarding a three-legged doggy and my husband yeah, and he's such a good boy. But anyway, but what I'm saying is that if we can understand the lies on so many different levels, um, and starting with food, in my opinion, starting with food, um, I think that we can get to the place where we can also understand war lies, you know? I absolutely agree. And like Dr. Sebi had told us, you know, food is medicine. And there are a lot of ways that we can heal our body by using food, you know. And um, as you talk about taking back our resources, like if we cannot take back our own health first, then 
knowing the truth about everything else doesn't really matter at a certain point, you know, like if you're not healthy enough to be around to share that truth with other people. Absolutely. If we cannot take back um, the truth that we've been lied to about health and, you know, by way of, of food, how can we ever um, break through the rest of the lies? Absolutely. And in that vein, I saw a video, I'll send it to you, but I saw a video that was wonderful recently um, about how everyone should have chickens and having chickens will make you a conspiracy theorist. And it reminded me of what you just said, you know, like because you yes. will realize that your eggs look different and they taste different. And if you eat your own chickens, you will realize that the meat tastes different and then it will cause you, you know, to start looking into all kinds of other things and asking questions about all of the food we eat. And then from there, you know, vaccines and war propaganda and everything else. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. If you think about it, chickens are kind of like the gateway drug to conspiracy theories. So I think if you get chickens, you ultimately will become a conspiracy theorist. And here's the reason why I say that. Because you're going to get chickens, right? You're going to love having chickens. You're going to taste the eggs and you're going to recognize, like the one I just grabbed, thank you, right here. You're going to realize that they taste different. So you're going to start looking into why do they taste different? Why do they look different? Why is the yolk darker? And then you're going to do that and you're going to realize. We'll play the rest of this next time. We're, we've got about 10 seconds left. So, uh, Lily, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Please come back next week. Share this if you can. Um, I love you, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. I love you so much. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.